Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. everyone and welcome to the opening drive on 101 ESPN. It is 7 o'clock in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Brooke Grimsley here, uh, I think might be cold, wearing her bird's cap. But uh, what do you got? A little jacket going A little there? jacket. I was saying I need a Snuggie over here because it, it, <laughs> some days you don't know what temperature is going to be in you here. Some days know. it is like a sauna. See, do you know this? It and is. And then other days it's like a icebox. It is so cold. And today's one of those days. So yeah, I, those I've learned to bring around days. a jacket. Or I'm going to get to the point where I bring in a Snuggie, but then CD pointed out you might look over and I'm just like passed out over <laughs> yeah. here one day. I have a St. Louis Blue Snuggie at home. I love my Snuggie. It's they are fantastic. very comfortable. Yeah, they really are. They're fantastic. Uh, Carrie Davis is back after a day of doing a football camp at Purdue. Good to have you with us again. Good to be back. And uh, I'm glad that you were able to be away from what happened with the Cardinals yesterday afternoon. Oh, man. That the is... number of the day. Oh, Scheduled to arrive. The number of the day is... Five! Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, five in a row. Five in a row. What? Yeah, I, 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 we have an, an, an entire show, so I'm sure we're uh, going to talk uh, about it a little bit. I don't know. Uh, what's going on? Uh, we're going to get to that. Yeah, <laughs> okay. There's a lot. Hey. Uh, we're going to talk to Greg Amsinger, ask him what's going on okay. at the bottom of the hour. Okay. We're going to talk to, uh, uh, is it Joachim Nielsen, super fan? Oscar Sundquist? I think it's Joachim. Or Joachim, I don't know. Joachim. I think it's Joaquin. Let's just call him Joachim because (laughs) we are familiar with Joaquin Andujar, and we'll go with that. So we're going to go with Oscar (laughs) Sundquist, who's going to join us. The Blues Parade was four years ago today. We're going to talk to Jeremy Rutherford about that. Also, our buddy Michelle Smallman, and uh, I think Michelle might refer to that parade day as the highlight of her broadcasting career. Definitely one of the highlights of mine. We got to do it together and it was awesome. And if you were at the parade, you know what? Send us mic drops about what the parade day was like for you. Use the 101 ESPN app. If you were one of the people that was hanging from one of the parking garages, I want to hear from you. How you got there, what time you got there, all of that man. stuff. That's a, that's a, that's, that is commitment. Yeah. You, you, you take a day off of work and you, you hang out of parking garage or windows or wherever you can hang out of, however you can be seen, just so you can see the parade. That is a, a level of commitment that I, I tip my cap to. I was covering the parade to that day, mm-hmm. and it was really tough being one of the only sober people on the street. <laughs> it was. It, yeah. Everybody, yeah. everybody was on a whole nother level of hammered players, yeah. fans included, and then I'm just oh. sober, just trying to navigate through all the champagne. It was a, uh, it was tough to do with the camera. What a day! Mm-hmm. What a day! I'm, I am sure it was. <laughs> it was incredible. <laughs> Meanwhile, yesterday at the ballpark, I was there and. The Cardinals do do such a fantastic job of game presentation and of taking care of their fans. The only really disappointing part of it is the baseball. (laughs) But the the food is great. Had some some of those tater tot nachos. Patrick and I had uh, partook of the the tater tot nachos, which are absolutely delicious. I had a giant hot dog. It was fantastic. Their hot dog, it's longer than a foot long. It's a big 
hot dog late right outside section 148 so you didn't uh, get the shack sandwich yeah. have you gotten the, cha- the shack oh sandwich yet? i the had that chicken. when we had our party over oh. at the ballpark oh, you oh yeah but i haven't but you know they also have uh one of their videos between innings is shack going let's go cardinals oh <laughs> so, i didn't yeah. know that yeah so shack wearing a cardinal cap and yeah so it's pretty that's cool. like a must for me now when i go to the ballpark yeah. is finding tracking oh. down that shack sandwich with the vincent van donut yeah. Uh, oh, doctor. Yeah. Yeah. So it's here's so what good. here's what happened at the ballpark. The Giants actually scored first yesterday. Giants had won the first two games of the series, and we're thinking, okay, let's see if the Cardinals can salvage one. Well, the Giants score two in the first against Jordan Montgomery, and we're thinking, uh oh, but Montgomery gets out of it. Cardinals don't score in the bottom of the first, but in the bottom of the second, they loaded the bases for Tommy Edmond. The stretch and two-two pitch. Swing, fly ball, hit high in the air, right. Yastrzemski back. with the call on Bally Sports. Cardinals lead by a score of 4-2. to two. Then in the bottom of the third inning, Nolan Gorman walks. Arenado strikes out, but Gorman moved up on a wild pitch, and J-Dub came through. Newt will have a couple of days of baseball activity, and then they're hoping he can get in some games this weekend. Jordan Walker with a base hit up the middle. Montos won't try to throw home. Give Walker another hit and an RBI. It's the third inning, and we are one run away from 60-cent drinks on Thursday, okay? The Cardinals lead by a score of 5-2. to two. Mike Yastrzemski singles home a run in the seventh. That's okay. We're 5-3. But the ninth inning happened. So I'm sitting with Patrick, who's a Giants fan. And I said, do you feel pretty good about uh, your Giants against uh, Giovanni Gallegos? He's smiled and nodded. He's not a very emotional <laughs> kid. <laughs> smiled and nodded. Uh, and so you're in the top of the ninth inning and you got a runner aboard and you're ahead five to three and you get two outs and you get two strikes against Mike Yastrzemski and this yes high drive deep right field it is gone he's tied the game that's the call from the Giants TV network it went to the 10th the Giants scored three win it by a score of eight to five the Cardinals have lost five in a row they have the worst record in the National League and Ali Marmal as we would ask Brad Thompson where do you go from here at some point you just have to do something about it you keep getting punched in the face punch back um, you don't score after the third you have the lead in the ninth finish the game. Uh, Brad Thompson, who may or may not be listening at the moment when asked, where do you go from here? said, I don't know, go home and kick a puppy or something? Kick a puppy? He was frustrated. He was frustrated. So if you go on the old YouTube... Uh, I believe, if you even to this day, if you type in Puppy Kicker Major League Debut or just Puppy Kicker Debut, it's Brad Thompson's first Major mm, League mm, game. I don't know if that's a great thing good. to be associated so, with. Uh, Tony, Tony brought him into the, his office. Tony, of course, founded our <laughs> Animal Rescue Foundation out in the Bay Area. And Tony brought him into the office the next day after he found out about the quote and said, you know you're going to rescue a dog, don't you? <laughs> and, and BT did. He did. Oh yeah. So yeah. what's the dog's name? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I, they, I think they lost that one. Not that it had ever been kicked or anything, but uh, no, they. Oh, the, I don't the like Thompson the family. story and how it's developed. Oh no, no, Brandy. Brad never kicked a puppy. Okay. It was, was just an answer. It was, it was a flippant, he was frustrated. It, it was a flip, yeah. flippant the dog answer. Goes the only way yeah. it can get worse. Yeah. 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 Uh, so. It's been a rough go for a rough stretch for the Cardinals, right, Nolan Arenado? Right, Nolan. 
Nolan, come on, talk to me, baby. I, I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, I don't even know if you would call it a stretch anymore, right? I mean, it's just bad baseball. We've been playing bad baseball for a while now. So do I think we could play better baseball with the players we have in here? Sure. But that, that remains to be seen, and we're already three months in. Yeah, it's we hate to drive this into the ground, but I'll drive it into the ground because I like it. You are what your record says you are. Yes. Thank 100%. you, Bill Parcells. Thank you, Bill Parcells. You are. So uh, where do they go from here? They go on the road. Uh, they have to play in Washington and New York, and then they go to London, and then they come home and they get Houston and the Yankees, and the Yankees are also eight and a half, nine games out, but they're also 10 games over 500. Something has to be done here. We're closing in on the midpoint of the season. I don't know. I think you can cash this season in. But if you're the Cardinals, do you cash in a season? When you are who you are with the pedigree that you have, you're a, a, a marquee franchise in Major League Baseball. Do the Cardinals go down the road with what they have here and risk losing 90 games, 95 games? I, I just don't envision this ownership this management allowing this to happen for a whole season the 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 reason why you're not going to cash it in yet is because you still as terrible as horribly as awful as they have played you still have an opportunity to win the nl central that's your goal right now that's the only goal it's not to get above 500 it's not to get 90 wins it's not to do anything but creep your way back into this division there's still an opportunity it doesn't sound feasible at, at different points in this season. It hasn't sounded like that's something that could happen, but you're still only eight and a half games back, and here you are June 15th, playing as poorly as most of us have ever seen the St. Louis Cardinals team play in our entire lives, and you still you still aren't double digits back in the division because your division is terrible. So, I don't think that it's the point where they just say, okay, we're going to sail. We're, we're, we're done with this season. We're going to ride our hands. We're going to you know, dust our hands off of this one. We're going to move forward. No, we're still going to keep playing. The players just have to play better. They have to take care of, of the opportunities that are presented to them. When you have a, a lead, what's the well, how many blown saves are they at now? Is 15, it 15 out of 30. 15 blown saves. That, that would put you right back in the, at the top of the division. Well, I mean, just that simple. Yeah, and Giovanni Gallegos, to Ali Marmol's credit, has been really good up to that point. Also, he had plenty of days rest. He hasn't had any injury issues, four days rest to be specific, and he has eight saves in his last ten opportunities, and it just blew up in his face. But you kind of knew it was coming, right? How you knew that your son predicted that it would come. You know that it's going to happen with the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. And something else that was interesting the Giants did, and how many times do we have to talk about this? They were actually able to do something with runners in scoring position. Mm -hmm. They were actually able to do something with that. But the sad part is that is just one of the many problems with the Cardinals right now. You have to do something at this point. Flag day was yesterday. We know how big of a holiday that is for Claves. Flag Day was yesterday. This is what this club is right now. They look uninspired. They're not finding ways to win games. They keep finding ways, embarrassingly, mm -hmm. to lose games. Something has to change. By the way, it just struck me that 40 years ago today, the Cardinals traded Keith Hernandez to the New York Mets for Neil Allen and Nick Rick Ownby. That was the last night I ever worked for Costello, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, I was out in, I don't know why, I was out in center field right next to the camera in center field. And uh, I see on the scoreboard, Cardinals have traded Keith Hernandez for Neil Allen and Rick Ownby. So I uh, finished my job. I went back, did some work at KMOX, and then uh, 
I, I wasn't distraught like a lot of people were hmm. 40 years ago today. So anyway, there are managers out there. There is a manager that has won a world championship, that has been to multiple playoffs, that has had his team spiral in the past. Uh, Joe Madden, MLB Network. What do you do when your team is str- scuffling like this one is? Yeah, I've, I've been in, I've been there on a major level with a good team uh, during the course of the season. Been there in the minor leagues. But here's what I've always done. It's called fundamentals. I've actually had spring trainings during seasons where I'll just, uh, on like maybe a 10-game homestand, as an example, come out every day um, a little bit earlier and just go through something, just something fundamentally, uh, because you really probably have just gotten away some, uh, from some basics. It's not about looking for new answers or trying new things at all. Uh, the, the basic question is, who are we? What did we talk about in spring training? What did we want to get done? We've more than likely gotten completely away from that. So for me, it's just about a fundamental regroup, reset. Just start right there. And I, and I almost 100% of the time, it starts uh, putting you in the right direction. In 1981, when I was introduced to really, really, really good baseball, Whitey Herzog's first year, that's what I witnessed is an adherence to good, solid, fundamental baseball. And they just played that way. And then under Tony La Russa, that was part and parcel of what the Cardinals had to do. And that, by the way, is a product of George Kissel, who was kind of the godfather of great fundamentals in baseball. Uh, I'll tell you this, and I'm not advocating for anything, but if somebody wants to print out a red Try Not to Suck t-shirt, I will buy it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, with glad with giant glasses on it, and by the way, I know how the guy looks in red. So and it's good. So uh, I'm on board. Uh, and by the way, um, the, just reports uh, reports out there suggest that uh, Joe Madden, if something would happen here, would be interested in the Cardinal job. But would the Cardinals be interested in him? That's it. Would the question. take a dramatic philosophical change to get back to what Whitey Herzog and Tony Larusa espoused when the Cardinals were at their peak, and that is giving the manager the ability to manage and instill fundamentals and play the game the way the game is supposed to be played, rather than relying on launch angle and exit velocity and spin rate. Having a manager that actually trusts his gut and understands winning baseball and has the ability to implement winning baseball with his players. And I don't know, I don't think, that Ali Marmol has that ability right now. I don't think that Ali Marmol is given the autonomy that Whitey Herzog or Tony Larusa had when they were the Cardinal manager. I just have one question. So last season, he was able to lead the team to the mm-hmm. playoffs. And CD, you pointed out how many wins as well. Mm-hmm. So you can hang that on him and something that he was able to do <clears throat> with this club. And look, we can also point to, uh, there's a lot of things to point to right now, but you can also point to roster construction. They should have, in hindsight, gone out and got a starting pitcher. You look at the starting pitching staff, you could have also said, okay, Wilson Contreras isn't working out. Mm-hmm. You should have moved some pieces for Sean Murphy. I Now it seems that Nolan Gorman was a part of that. I don't think you would want to, but still, Hindsight is 2020 for all of this. There were some more pieces that they could have made more aggressively to really kind of seal this group together. But looking specifically at this coaching staff and Ali Marmol as a manager, what's some things that you see as a positive for from him or something you could say that was a great managerial decision? And I'm not getting anything, getting to anything. I just want to point to what is something that you think has worked out for him? For me, I think it's, we, we put a lot of emphasis on the manager, and I, I said this a couple of days ago. I can only do so much when my butt is on the bench 
or my feet are on two stairs looking over a rail, Mm -hmm. there is only so much I can do. I can put you in position. I can tell you what's going to happen or what I think is going to happen. But if that doesn't happen or something else happens, you have to be you have to react as a player. And so when you're looking at the bullpen and all of the times that he's called a certain pitcher's number, okay, you're up this inning. That, based on the the history of what that pitcher had done up until that point, that, that's the person that should be going in. That person just doesn't perform well. Who else were you going to put in last, uh, yesterday when Gallegos gave up those runs? Who who would you have rather seen in that moment? Would you? Did, we talked about it. Did you want Jordan Hicks to stay in the game? I mean, what what route do you want to go at that point? It's on the players. If I call your number, do your job, and that's the bottom line. And I just look at. And you do need players. There's no doubt about it. But Tony LaRusso won in Oakland, won in St. Louis. Just it, to me, that is not a coincidence. Whitey Herzog won in Kansas City, won in St. Louis. No coincidence. Uh, Bruce Bochy is winning now in Texas after winning in San Diego and then San Francisco. I don't think it's a coincidence that managers move around and win where they go. I just And players have a lot to do with it, but maximizing the talents of your players is a huge thing. Next up, sick of it. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646. 314-399-YOHO. We've got sick of it next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. All right, time for sick of it here on 101 ESPN. Brooke, Carrie, Randy, and... What are you sick of? Get your text in right now. Uh, CD, what are you sick of? I'm sick of losing. I'm sick of watching <laughs> losing. I, and I'm sick of, of I, I said this and I'll say it again. I, I'm sick of all the blame being solely on the manager. I, I will give you a quick story. In, I want to say 2005, maybe 2006, um, Ron Turner was fired from the University of Illinois. Mm-hmm. I was no longer at the University of Illinois. I was two or three years into my professional career. And I called him and I was sick. I was upset. I was hurt because I felt like I let him down. Now, here's a player that hadn't played for him in two to three years. I'm disappointed because I felt like I let him down, meaning I didn't leave enough for the guys behind me to continue that that path. We went 0-11 my senior year and they didn't they didn't perform well after that. I felt like that was my fault as a former player. And I'm sure that there were current players that felt that same way as well. Now, my senior year, I had a running back coach who loved dearly asked me, Kerry, why are we so terrible? I said, because of the guys you all are recruiting. You guys are recruiting guys that don't love football, that don't want to play football. That's why the team is bad. So if the coaches are doing their job, the players that you have are doing their job, but the people that are bringing in those players aren't, then you have a bad team. Everything in an organization starts at the top, and it trickles it, its way down. And the production that you see on the field, it starts at the top. You are not, you didn't do enough in the offseason, starts at the top. Your guys are not performing well, it starts at the top. And that's how it works. So I'm sick of losing. I'm sick of watching this team lose. I'm sick of people blaming the manager solely as the responsible party for for why this team is losing. I'm sick of hearing about Joe Madden, who got fired from his last position, saying he is the answer. He wasn't the answer in in Anaheim, in Los Angeles Mm -hmm. of Anaheim. So I'm sick of all of that. 
I just want the Cardinals to win baseball games, and we can have now, a wonderful day. I would suggest to you that the Angels' winning percentage was significantly un- better under Madden than it was after they got rid of Joe Madden uh, last year. They lost. They they lost. 10, 10 games in a row at that point when yeah, they, they did, did fire him. Yeah. Well, and, and, and you know any what the, roster the, that you have, yeah, the, Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, and you finish fourth or third, fourth or fifth in the in the division, spare me. So then Ali Marmol has Arenado and Goldschmidt. And he's, he's in his second year. Yeah. So and and maybe he so will. Maybe uh, maybe that, that's but, a, but that's the a answer, real mistake to, to to say the two players and they're the two of the greatest players in the history correct. of baseball. But to say that the Angels have been responsible in building a pitching staff good enough to win with. I think is really outrageous. So then you could say so. So then it's not on the manager that he got fired by what you just said because they they right. didn't and, build and, a pitching staff and he didn't get fired because he was bad. He got fired because he wouldn't he wouldn't kowtow to the analytics people in the front office. If they won, they wouldn't have fired him. So it all starts at the top. So you, the, if Mike Schultz the, the had won, they wouldn't have fired him. It, if he if he if he he'd have had to win a World Series. <laughs> okay. He would have okay. had to yeah. win the World Remember, Series. Remember they said that they was made a different. That yeah. <laughs> Remember they said that they had made that decision even before kind of he, they went on that full run. Wasn't yeah. that? Remember that? Yeah. It, it was like that, they they were already hey, done. 2007 2007 Joe Torre won 5 World Series. 4 World Series for the Yankees. 2007 he was fired by September. Now they did, they waited until the end of the season until they got knocked out of the playoffs. But yeah. sometimes front offices do stupid things, and I'm not gonna I'm not ready to say Joe Torre was a bad manager and he got fired because they were losing. Yeah, and, and the thing the thing for me is is I do think blame goes all around. It's the front office has to look in the mirror with the decisions that they made in the off season, and if it was enough to really make this team competitive, because look, you did lose a lot of important pieces and voices to this group in Yadier Molina and especially Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols' run after that all-star break was huge for the Cardinals, and it seems like losing him, losing his voice, his ability to really work with the players, and not to mention the guys that you lost on the coaching staff. I know that people have their feelings about Jeff Albert and look things aren't going great for the Mets where he is now but still he was somebody had who had been a part of that organization for a long time Mike Maddox somebody who is a veteran somebody that has worked with that pitching staff for a long time that's also gone too so you uh, I think it's not unreasonable to wonder Mm -hmm. if this coaching staff is fully capable of knowing how to get this team back on track and maybe that's more on they should have added more pieces just like they should have added more pieces to this roster as well because I do think that coaching does matter to an extent because it is on the players they do make a lot of money I'm not going to feel sorry for guys who are making 85 million dollars you know in their career all that kind of stuff I'm not going to feel sorry for them about that but I think that they're if you're going to have bad coaches, there's good coaches, too. There's a reason for all that. Um, my sick of it, just briefly, just briefly, is all the national media getting in on this. I hate it. I hate it so much. I tweeted this out yesterday. It feels like inviting strangers into your messy house. That's exactly what it feels like. Jeff Passan, I don't know if you guys saw his tweet yesterday. As mediocre as the Mets and Padres have been this season, no team comes close to the St. Louis Cardinals in terms of downright disappointment. This 
is a disaster. They are a disaster. Five straight losses, a 27-42 record, the worst in the National League, better than only Oakland and Kansas City. By the way, Oakland has won some games recently, so Nine at least there's, yeah, yeah. there's some, I think, seven. or seven? is it? Yeah, yeah. there's some they've, upside they've there. They surpassed KC. Casey now has the worst record. And I hate it because, it's, it, it's of course, the national media is going to get involved. Of course they are. I just hate it because this is not this is not the Cardinals organization. This is not the Cardinals way to be this messy publicly publicly. We appreciate your text. Let's get to two or three texts before we get to Greg Amzinger. Matt, uh, Matthew, what do you got? I'm sick of the Cardinals not hiring a manager that has previous MLB managing experience. You look at uh, the, the top teams in Major League Baseball right now and Bruce Bochy uh, has been around. Obviously, Dusty Baker has been around. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's pretty tough when you see the quick turnarounds of some of the franchises that have done that. I'm sick of people thinking that the Cardinals will compete for anything this year. Start getting ready for 2024. Trade pieces we won't resign. Evaluate talent. Prepare your players for their assignments next year. This year's a bust. Nobody's perfect. I still love the Cardinals. It's going to be hard to win no this way. year. No. It's gonna they be. already did it. Zach Thompson. Uh, <laughs> no. Poor Zach Thompson. Preparing him for next year. I'm sick of my Cubs friends trying to get shots in on the Cardinals right now. Uh, hey, if you get the opportunity, take them. You should. You did. We, we, we should. We, we spent 108 years Man, taking shots at the every Cubs. chance I got. You know how mad I was when they won that World Series, so I couldn't just belittle all of my Cub friends from Illinois. It, it, it just it made my day. Hey, you guys stink. You those, guys are terrible. And then they go the and days. win the World Series. Yeah, and, darn know, it. I'm sick of all these sabermetrics. I think it's complete BS. Uh. I like how you use sabermetrics instead of analytics. You never hear sabermetrics well, anymore. And no, you don't. And here's the thing. Analytics has always been around if you were smart. Like Whitey Herzog knew everything that was going on. My buddy Big Frank talks about how one time back in the 80s when Pete Rose was managing the Reds and somebody said, hey, who do you think has the worst fly ball to ground ball rate in Major League Baseball? And the number was out there and Pete Rose didn't. You know, he, he didn't have the numbers. He's probably Gary Reedus, my own guy. Yeah, that, that was it. He, he hit more fly balls to the track than anybody else. The, the smart managers have always known the numbers and known how to go about it. Tone, uh, there was nobody like Whitey Herzog. He had it all upstairs, though. He didn't need to go to an iPad or a spreadsheet. He just had it in his head. Do you think if, if these fans like look through the Dave Duncan binders, they might see a, a number that they would qualify as an analytic? I think they'd be a sabermetric yeah, in there. Hey, I remember Woody Williams saying uh, when he came here, he said, it's unbelievable. I know exactly what a hitter is going to do. If there's an 0-2 count, is he going to swing breaking ball? Yes. So I throw a breaking ball out of the zone and I get him. Hmm. Yeah, they, they knew that. Dunk obviously knew that. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. Coming up next, Greg Amzinger talking some some Cardinals. I think he might be disappointed. And Dan Plesak had an interesting note about the Cardinals the other night. We'll ask Greg about that next on 101 ESPN. The smartest way to do your homework is Heckman Lumber. Warm weather means homework for homeowners. And if your homework means a new deck, then turn to the deck experts at Hackman Lumber. Browse the largest inventory of decking materials and deck accessories in Missouri at Hackman Lumber Company. Talk with their experts about treated lumber, cedar, timber tech, trex, evergreen, and azek to find the best deck for you. Check out endless choices of railings, balusters, and LED deck lighting options. Hackman Lumber Company will not be undersold on in-stock decking materials guaranteed. You can choose to do it yourself with 
Hackman's expert advice, or they can recommend reputable contractors to do the work for you. Hackman Lumber is an authorized Yeti dealer and also stocks a large assortment of grills. So celebrate summer with a new Big Green Egg, Weber Gas, or Charcoal Grill and all of the accessories from Hackman Lumber. Come visit their showrooms in St. Charles, Pacific, and Troy, Missouri, or online at hackmanstl.com. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Our great friend Greg Amzinger is a graduate of the Lindenwood University. He's a native of St. Louis, and he is an avowed Cardinal fan. And he, He's the lead anchor for MLB Network. Joins us every Thursday here on 101 ESPN. We, we absolutely love the guy. And Greg joins us now here on 101 ESPN. Greg, good morning. How are you doing, first of all? Uh, I, I am doing, I'm doing great, believe it or not. You know, it, it's um, intern season, you know, got, all these classes are over and mm-hmm. kids are interning at MLB Network, which is always very exciting. Uh, you see all these young people who lock eyes on me and they've been like growing up watching MLB Network, right? I've been there for this is my 15th season. So many of these 19, 20, 21 year olds, uh, think it's a big deal when they see me for the first time. I'm not making this up. They look at me they're like, wow. But we have three that have looked at me in the last couple of days and all this, this like a weird facial expression of panic. <laughs> and they run to me like, I need you to hug me immediately. Those three kids are from St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> and, and one of them, his name is Ryan Rosenthal. And he, and he went to Clayton High School. He goes to Indiana University. And without introducing himself to me yesterday, he goes, Greg, I'm from St. Louis. What do I do? And I go, well, I don't know. What department are you interning in? And he goes, no, the Cardinals are terrible. I, I don't know what to do with my summer. Greg, I... I don't remember 2007, Greg. I don't know what it's like to have a losing season. What do I do? I go, first off, tell me your name, young man. (laughs) What is your name? (laughs) So I had to spend 40 minutes with Ryan Rosenthal and help this young man (laughs) come out of this mental rabbit hole that he can't get out of still. I don't think I did my job, but it's clearly a thing. Uh, Greg, night before last, Dan Plesak, hot take on your show. What do you? What was it, and what do you think? He said that if things don't get turned around, he believes Ali Marmol is going to be fired. And I, of all the analysts that we have at MLB Network, Dan Plesak is known for a lot of funny, goofy things. He knows pitching better than anybody that we have, but he's not a hot take guy. And he's got this expression that's always, like, made me laugh. <laughs> like, like Dan with NC State, he was never the valedictorian of his high school class. He never came close to that. Kind of a straight-C student. Thank God he could throw a baseball really hard. <laughs> he's actually a good basketball player, too. He's a Division One recruit. But what he says to me about pitching, and I always challenge all the analysts, he goes, Greg, I don't know much, but what I do know is right. He says it all the time. <laughs> and, and he looked at me in a commercial break, and I go, whoa, that, that is definitely a hot take from your damn police act. And he looks at me and goes, Greg, I don't know much, but what I do know is usually right. <laughs> so we are sitting here waiting. I, I, was, I couldn't believe you said it, but um, we're waiting to see if the police act is going to be correct, and Ali Marmol will still be the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals by the end of the week. 
So in your personal opinion, do you think that that's the right move? And is that enough to move this team forward or at least get something going? You know, the, the weird thing about that, Brooke, is the conversation's never anything but awkward when you fire a manager. Not that I've ever done it, but I've talked to people who have done it. The, the part that makes this really awkward is they're going to if they, if they do fire Ollie Marmol, they have to sit him down and they go, Ollie, uh, yeah, we got to go over what you what's happened here. Um, you've literally done everything we've asked you to do. You, you say what we tell you to say. Um, you um, you know manage the roster exactly how we've told you to manage it. You've implemented analytics exactly how we wanted you to implement them. Um, you really have it in reflected and injected your opinion at all, which is why we hired you. We had no experience to do this job. We were looking for someone who would not push back against us in any way. And you've done that. You, you've literally been the model employee. You've done everything we've ever asked you to do. Uh, unfortunately, the way this works is someone has to be the fall guy for this team being a disaster at the moment. And that comes with your job, Ali, not ours. It comes with your job. So I know this sounds awkward, but we're going to have to fire you. Not hmm. We can't fire ourselves, right? That makes no sense. And we can't get rid of all the players. So you're the person that's going to get fired. And we're going to just say that they need a new voice because, well, even though it really was our voice that you were expressing to them, you have to get fired. This is a manager who has literally done everything that the front office has asked him to do. And the way this entire thing works in baseball is someone has to be the fall guy, and that is going to be an awkward conversation if they choose to have it, that Ali Marmel will be the fall guy for the St. Louis Cardinals at this point in the calendar. Greg, if that would happen, is there any way under the current circumstances that Joe Madden would take the Cardinal job? No, and fans need to recognize this, okay? And I, I kind of hope that I'm way wrong on this. John Mozeliak is still going to make the ultimate decision, okay? And John Mozeliak has a few years left before he rides off, rides off into the sunset, and then people like Greg Amsinger is trying to call and be on TV, and then he's eventually going to be in, inducted into the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Don't drive off the road right now, folks, because I just said that, okay? He's, he's the Hall of Fame executive. I know everyone can't stand John Mozeliak in St. Louis, which makes no sense to me, but whatever, he's a Hall of Fame executive in baseball. And John Mozeliak is is going to make this call. He fired Mike Schilt because Mike Schilt gave pushback to John Mozeliak. And John Mozeliak said, wait a minute, during a job interview, he kind of promised me there was going to be no pushback here. You want your own bench coach? You want to call your own shots? This is not the agreement we made, dude. I, I already dealt with Tony La Russa before. I dealt with Mike Matheny, who wanted to use his quote-unquote managerial instincts and his catcher instincts during in-game management, which drove me crazy, made me pull my hair out. I'm not dealing with this anymore. I'm going to hire a guy. I don't care if he's ever managed a day in his life. I don't care if he was ever the captain of his fourth grade kickball team and he never had to pick kids on his PE class. You know what I mean? I don't care if he has no leadership experience at all. I'm going to hire somebody that literally is going to do what I tell them to do. So I can't envision John Mozeliak hiring a guy like Joe Madden who's going to tell him, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah, nope, I'm not doing that either. Who went on a podcast with Tom Verducci and railed against analytics for 35 minutes railed against them. <laughs> How is John Mozeliak going to hire that guy? I'm not seeing it. So uh, I'm telling you, as a guy that is living this every single day and, and just 
understanding the people that make these decisions and their instincts and their track record. St. Louis, don't get your hopes up for Joe Madden if this were to happen and Molly Mormel gets fired. Don't get your hopes up and think Yadier Molina is going to be the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals. You think Yadier Molina, who, who has the best baseball instincts that we've ever seen, is going to be in the dugout doing literally everything that John Moselock tells him to do? You think Yadier Molina is going to look into a binder and say, where are my outfielders shading for this this, this hitter? No way. No way. This is going to be Ali Marmol 2.0. So if you think Ali Marmol is the reason the Cardinals are losing – just understand he's going to be replaced by a guy who's literally doing his job exactly like Ali Marmel. So I don't think it makes sense to me to fire the guy. It doesn't make sense to me. And it's not because I'm best friends with Ali Marmel. Don't think that it's, I just know who's making the decision and he's not getting fired. So why make the, the move if, it, if it's for anything, but just rattling the cage of the roster. If that's what you're doing, then go ahead. See if it works. So, Greg, with with that being said, we know that when you're playing this poorly, people lose their jobs. They get traded. They get removed. They they Things have to be shaken up. And I've said this over and over. I think Brooke and, and Randy are sick of me saying that it's on the players to perform better. What exactly needs to happen for this team to win games? Because it's it's really bad right now. As I'm with Ryan Rosenthal, I want Greg tell me what to do with my summer at this point. Think about it. I mean, St. Louisans have always enjoyed suspenseful baseball in September. There's a chance that's not there. I remember what that feels like. Randy Character remembers what that feels like. Those are lonely summers where you kind of just sit outside way too long. You forgot to put on sunscreen and you look like a lobster and you and you and you're peeling and you go to Six Flags for the eighth time, even though you really don't want to go. It's just an awful summer, right? You forgot to go to camp because your parents were going to take you to a bunch of Cardinal games that you're not that fired up to see anymore because they're 25 games out of first place in September. So those summers really are memorable, awful ones for St. Louisans who they haven't experienced that in some cases in their lifetime. They haven't experienced summers like this. So I understand it's very important. If If it's coming from me, what is the one thing the Cardinals have that other teams and organizations they don't have? What do they have a surplus of other than loyal fans who still want this team to be good? They have a lot of players. They have a lot of big league ready players. Are they performing to their the highest level of their capabilities? No. Have they parted ways with any of them? No, they're they're holding on to them. It's like they're still these blue chip prospects that are can't miss stars. I think before you fire the manager who's doing literally everything the entire front office is telling you to do, you make a trade. Be the first team to make a colossal roster move. You want to shake up the roster? Tell some guys on the roster they're not coming back. You've got a lot of controllable bats. That's what you possess. There are teams that can't score runs. Go to Cleveland right now. If you think things are bad in St. Louis, go to Cleveland where baseball fans there know that if their pitcher gives up two or more runs, they lost the game in the second inning. They can't score. They have no bats at all. They have Jose Ramirez and Josh Naylor, and that's it. So there are teams out there that are, that are thirsting for offense. 
the Cardinals have a lot of bats that they don't want to part ways with because they think they, that player might be the next Willie Mays. Well, they have to stop doing that. They have to shake up the roster to, I think, a colossal trade that makes people in St. Louis go, okay, well, that's interesting. At least the status quo isn't being fed anymore to us. I think a trade is the first move. I just don't understand why the manager getting fired is the automatic because why? Joe, Joe Girardi got fired last year. They were 22 and 29, and the Phillies turned around and went to the World Series. If you think that's an automatic button that teams can push because Rob Thompson was able to pull that off, if you think that's what's going to happen automatically, if they fire Ali Marmol, well, unfortunately, you forget all of the other moments where the managers have been fired and the next guy doesn't have any success. So it's not that easy. Well done, Greg. Well done. I have been saying yeah. that that people often look at what the Phillies did. That is a exception. That is an exception to the rule. The rule is you fire the manager, your team is going to stink still. The exception <laughs> is what the Phillies did last year, and everyone hangs on to that one. Thank you, sir. Is it fair to say that the, the really good managers in baseball get more out of their players and maximize their talents? Does does is, are the Rangers better because Bruce Bochy is there? Did the Cardinals improve because Tony Larusa or Whitey Herzog arrived on the scene? Did the Cubs and, and the, the Cubs were maybe that's Madden going to the Cubs is is a bad example, but uh, did Dusty Baker going to the Astros improve them? It's I just think there's a lot of instances where managers they they go around and they continue to win. And I'm I'm of the belief that the best managers in any walk of life maximize the talent that they're working with. But the food chain has changed, and we still have remnants of old-school baseball, and you mentioned a lot of them. But I'm glad you brought up Joe Madden, because Joe Madden with the Chicago Cubs was actually a bad fit. The front office, the food chain there was Theo Epstein number one. He was the Rick Pitino of that college basketball program. It was his program, Okay. Well, he needed a point guard, and everyone said that Joe Madden was the best point guard to get the Cubs to win the World Series. All you heard in 2016 were all the terrible managerial decisions that Joe Madden made. And he lost the players. They won the World Series. And if there was a team that could have fired their manager at the end of a year where they won the World Series, it would have been, it would have been the Chicago Cubs. He didn't fit their front office philosophy that was heavily analytical and they wanted, you know, essentially to appease the fan base. And Joe Madden kind of agreed that he was going to be everything that Theo and Jed Hoyer wanted him to be because he was very analytical with the Tampa Bay Rays. And that's what they, they saw the fit there. But Joe Madden accidentally garnered all of these in-game baseball experiences that he believed could be useful, right? He didn't just want to be a puppet. So it fell apart quickly for Joe Madden in Chicago, even though he won the World Series. To me, the gold standard, the, the guy that every front office is looking for, and I believe would be the number one manager acquired if all 30 managers were fired today and the Cardinals could handpick any manager in, in the sport. All of them were free agents. The number one manager is Kevin Cash of the Tampa Bay Rays. Why is Kevin Cash the number one manager? Because Kevin Cash was the one that made the walk 
in the World Series when Blake Snell was dominating a Los Angeles Dodgers lineup. Uh, Blake Snell, who had uh, made Mookie Betts and Justin Turner and Trey Turner, whoever was the top three in their lineup in that World Series game, they were 0 for 8 with eight strikeouts. But it was the third time through the lineup. And the binder said that Blake Snell couldn't get these three guys out even though they were 0 for 6 with six strikeouts against him in the game. So it was Kevin Cash that slowly walked out to the mound and removed the star of the game. And Mookie Betts, with his eyes huge, couldn't believe it and was celebrating. And the Dodgers were able to come back and win the World Series, win that game. And Blake Snell was just out of his mind crazy mad. But it was Kevin Cash who did exactly what his front office told him to do. He's doing exactly what the front office is telling him to do now, and they're the best team in baseball. Kevin Cash has won multiple AL managers of the year doing what the front office tells him to do. And the Cardinals were banking on Ollie Marmol being that version of the best manager in baseball, not Tony La Russa. Don't give me Bruce Bochy or Buck Showalter. The Cardinals wouldn't be interested anyway, all right? So they're looking for the gold standard, and it's Kevin Cash. If they fire Ali Marmel, they'll be looking for the next version of Kevin Cash still. Greg, just real quick before we head out, I want to ask you about I know that you touched on that you think that they should do a trade. What do you think that trade should be? And also, I'm in the camp of all the blame for everybody right now because this is just not working out. This is this team is not meeting expectations, but also you could look at the roster construction. You were one of the first people, too, and what we talked about a lot is they should have gone out and got a starting pitcher during the offseason. And, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. Some of the guys they were looking at are injured, but do you think they should have been more aggressive this offseason, too? I did. Yeah, I did. I mean, I thought Trey Turner was a perfect fit. Now, is Trey Turner you know, tearing the cover off the baseball right now for the Philadelphia Phillies? No. But I talked to Albert Poulos behind the scenes about the pressure of signing a monster contract, and it takes you a while to get your footing mentally, just to get to, to not press as much. Trey Turner is still one of the best players in baseball, and I thought he absolutely fit because of his defensive versatility uh, where the Cardinals want to be. Right? I think it was just a good fit. I, I think um, the St. Louis Cardinals need to do something jaw-dropping. Uh, uh, that's just me. Uh, I, I think trading all young bats might not be the ultimate answer. There's a way to be a seller and a buyer at the same time and, and really shake things up. Now I'm going to say something that I probably going to get roasted for, and I'm fine with that. Uh, there's a guy that, that would immediate impact on multiple teams that are trying to win right now. They can't score. I mean, that, that there are lineups that just can't score. That, that look bad, they're going to win. Paul Goldschmidt is in his age 35 season. He'll be a free agent after next season. I know he's fresh off an MVP, and Paul Goldschmidt is an amazing player. I think he's on the Hall of Fame highway. Uh, but uh, unlike other Hall of Famers that the Cardinals have had, he started his career in a completely different uniform. So people don't look at him as a lifelong Cardinal. He is a leader. He's a tremendous teammate. Uh, Nolan Arenado sings his praises left and right. If you want to shake up a team, trade the MVP. Trade the guy that's not going to be part of the future for the next three, four years. It opens up a spot at first base where if you want Jordan Walker to find a spot that can play every day and be your next Albert Pools, all of a sudden Jordan Walker's got that spot. And you don't have to worry about the wear and tear on this six foot five frame. You're going to get a haul, a haul back for Paul Goldschmidt. And you can package other players and get to multiple starters. It's, it's the idea that no one is above 
the organization. No one is. Nolan Arnato, he, he he's, he's opting into a contract. You have many, many, many more years of Nolan Arnato who's actually playing, who's playing great. And Paul Goldschmidt is as well. But I believe that if you wanted to really shake up the culture of the Cardinals and recognize that it's not just the manager that needs to get fired, everybody's accountable. You can fire the manager if you want. You can't. If you want to fire Ollie Marmel. But if you really want to shake things up and, and remind people that the uniform is bigger than any one player on this team, go ahead and trade the guy that just won the MVP. Get a hall of young players. Reset your position players. And go. Go for it. Get a couple of starters and go for it. To me, that is more effective than firing a guy that's doing everything that you're telling him to do so you can replace him with another guy that's going to do everything you're telling him to do. Fitting that you would say that, Greg, and you can use this on the show tonight. Don't give me credit. 40 years ago today, the Cardinals received Neil Allen and Rick Ownby for Keith Hernandez. Changed the uh, the trajectory of the Mets, and the Cardinals got two good young, well, they got two pitchers. Well, they, uh, well, they got Neil <laughs> Allen and Rick, Rick Ownby for Keith Hernandez. But, but, Four years but, ago today. Right. What happened to the future of the Cardinals? Did they fall off? Uh, they certainly did in 1984. Okay. But they then, fell off in 1984. But yep. then, were they able to regroup without they, they were. They, they, they traded five players to get a first baseman in Jack Clark, <laughs> and they wound up trading uh, George Hendrick for John Tudor, and that did change the tra- trajectory of the franchise for the next three years. Yes. Right. But they, exactly. They, they, they easily could have just kept – well, they, they couldn't have kept Keith Hernandez around, but if you keep that talent around, then you don't suffer what you went, went through in 1984. But sometimes you got to spend money to make money. Sometimes you actually have to give away to get it back better than you had before. And to me, this is a situation where you got to crumble up the piece of paper and just throw it out the window. You might not ever get that paper back. You might not get an MVP talent like Paul Goldschmidt again to play first base. It might not happen. But what you might find is that when you do find that piece of paper that you threw out the window, that when you open it up and look at it, it's different than it looked before. And the words are different. You might like the poem a bit more uh, over time. But there's going to be panic because you threw it out the window and you're used to having that poem in your hand. And that poem is a guy like Paul Goldschmidt. Do I think the Cardinals are going to trade Paul Goldschmidt? No, they're going to really, really wait. Um, I, I just don't see ownership being comfortable doing something like that. But those are the kind of moves that if you're trying to shake up the culture of a team that's used to being a winning franchise, those are the kinds of moves that rattle everyone's cage. And then the players understand that they're not more important than the guys in the front office. They're not more important than the manager. They're not more important than ownership. They are the players that have to perform. And they can't sit around and go over 4 and wait for the manager to get fired. I think that's going to be the answer. And, Greg, uh, as you walk out the door, there is a team out there that would be a logical destination. It's the Philadelphia Phillies. Phillies have needed a first baseman. Uh, I don't know if they have enough young pitching, enough young players to make that move, but they they could use them. They're not. They're not. uh, There are multiple teams that could use Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, If you're the Minnesota Twins, you need something in the middle of that order to go around it. Carlos Correa was finally getting hot. If you ever get Byron Buxton back and healthy, Paul Goldschmidt is the anti-Byron Buxton. He plays every single day. And Buxton, who you've committed $100 million to, just can't stay healthy. Goldschmidt move the needle immediately, and they need a consistent offensive force. I mean, you could literally go up and down and look at multiple teams that would clamor for a bat like Paul Goldschmidt, clamor for someone that's that type of model of consistency. So the the haul you can get, you can get big ready starters right now. 
I think the Cleveland Guardians with Josh Bell, who's really struggled all year, you could shift him over to the DH spot. Goldie plays first, and you can get Shane Bieber and another starter right now. Right now is the kind of talent you can get for a guy like Paul Goldschmidt. So if you wanted to rattle the cage of not just the roster but the fans in St. Louis and get excitement back and go, oh, my goodness, they're making a move, I think that does it. I don't know if Ali Marmel getting fired for Joe McEwing is going to change anything. <laughs> you've been awesome. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Uh, you've been very generous with your time, and I know you had a lot to get off your chest. So tell Ryan everything's going to be fine. Say, hey, I know a guy who grew up in the 70s, and okay. he actually got a chance. He, he's seen six World Series now, so I, I'm in pretty good shape. So yeah, uh-huh. just tell Ryan everything's going to be fine. I want to tell him everything's fine, and I let him hug me for two and a half minutes, um, and that's enough. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Enough. Have a great day. Care, See, you. See you. Guys. That's the amazing Greg Amzinger on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're gonna we're running really late, so we're gonna have a late Tioli, and then we'll get to bird droppings as we roll on here on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Want to say something? Want to put it out there? If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, send it right back. Get your text into 314-399-9646. Give us your Take It or Leave It. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com. And start packing. That's my final offer. Take it or leave it. If you don't already have our text number saved in your phone, it's 314-399-9646. If you like to use the letters on your little keypad on your phone, 314-399-YOHO. Kids. A little late there, Brooke. We I gotta, know. Oh, I was hoping that nobody would notice <laughs> that. Uh, I was working on my in? bird droppings. Yeah. Oh, okay. Take Here's two, three, one, four, three, nine, nine. Yo ho! There we go. Okay, take it or leave it. The Oopsies. Washington Wizards apparently. I was you guys get yeah. past you guys. Washington Wizards apparently amenable to trading St. Louis and Bradley Beal. Reportedly, the top three suitors and candidates to acquire the services of Bradley Beal are the Miami Heat, the Los Angeles Clippers, and the Boston Celtics. Ooh. Take it or leave it. They would become the St. Louis Celtics Take if Beal lands there <laughs> with you. You think they move? Yeah. Yeah. Why yeah. not? Yeah. Move back to yeah. Hashtag Celtics move to, to Saint STL. Louis. There you yeah. go. Yep. Boston doesn't deserve nice things. No. Oh, they've had enough. They have. And they they, they had them, and now they, they lost them. I appreciate it. Yep. So, Randy, there was a, I guess there was a bit of, kerfuff, bit of a kerfuffle in Buffalo with the Bills and Stefan Diggs, and whether or not he was at training camp or whether or not he was going to participate mm. in OTAs and, and minicamp. And, and so... Take it or leave it, this uh, Buffalo Super Bowl drought extends another year. I'm going to leave that. Really? Apparently we've solved the problems. Now, they do need to go out and get a running back, but Steph just wants the ball more, and he wants Josh Allen to throw him the ball more in key situations. Now they've told him, yeah, you'll get the ball more, so it'll be good. Uh, I don't know, Randy. I think... Nah, I don't know if they're going to make it to the Super Bowl. They, they are. They, uh, we, it's been made clear, though, they don't have the money to sign DeAndre Hopkins. Dalvin okay. Cook says he's going to wait to pick out a spot. They need to get a running back in there. They do. They've been, because Josh Allen is their running back. He's yeah. the guy that runs the ball in, in crucial and in critical situations. And you don't want your quarterback to be the guy that has to carry the right. ball. And they only times. have $2 million bucks in cap space. Oh, yeah. Well, Dalvin Cook's not going there. No. All right. Take it or leave it. Mizzou's football schedule coming out yesterday, and they are quaking in their boots looking at their second opponent of the season. And that's for 2024, correct? No. Oh, 
Wait. Is it 20, who, is, who are they playing? Is that 2024? The, the one that just got announced yesterday? Oh, yes, I'm 2024. Looking at 2023. Yeah. Well, now 2023. Yeah. Who is it? Yeah. Middle Tennessee State University. Oh, take it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> take it. Yeah. Yeah. it in their boots. Yep. God. The Blue Raiders riding on to victory. But yes, the 2024 oh. schedule did come out, and they got Oklahoma. So I, it, a lot of teams either got Oklahoma or Texas, right? And so they got Oklahoma. That will be interesting. It's a great rivalry. It, yeah. And, and actually, towards the end of their time in the Big 12, Mizzou started to handle Oklahoma. I don't... Well, now with... You have an extra season. Yeah. So. Yeah. With... Um, What's his name gone to uh, USC? Uh, the, oh. Uh, the, the, the coach that went to USC. Okay. Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley. There you go. Uh, Brett Venables might not be the answer in Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, we don't know if uh, Coach Drink is the answer here either. Uh, so it, it might on. be an interesting game. It might, well, towards the end, Mizzou beat them 10 nothing once, and then we might just have that. We'll see. Well, I got, we'll can see. I can I get another quick one? There's a yeah. message from the three one four cards fans. Get ready for Mizzou football in St. Louis. Take it or leave it. It's going to be a long rest of the year. Oh, I'll take those it. Mizzou yeah. fans. Yeah. <laughs> I L L. All right. Oh, okay. yeah, there we go. Uh, Matthew, what do we got on the old text line? <laughs> take it or leave it. The Cardinals need a rah rah speech from Brooke in her southern accent. Take it. Oh, take it. Take a rah rah speech. Yeah. yeah. yeah go. Yeah, we okay. got it. Let's yeah. go. Oh no. gosh, I don't even know what to say. How what, if I if nothing else is getting so, through to this group? What is my southern accent going to do with I, this? I, I agree with you there. Bro. <laughs> Just take the my southern accent it is has, uh, okay. So I'll, I'll try to do it in my words, and you can do it in yours. Gosh. Okay. Okay. Gentlemen, we know it has been a difficult first part of the season for you, but I do declare you have much talent and can turn this season around. Okay, Shit. now we spin it your own way. Oh, gosh. I, sometimes it works for me and sometimes it doesn't. So I, I could try. Gentlemen, I do declare that this season has not gone well. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. But this is not working out. This sounds Confederate. I'm sorry. <laughs> this sounds. Yeah, it this went. Uh oh. It didn't go another wrong uh, direction. No, I I loved it. But I do the, the, the sugar coat is. The, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. I'm not it. gonna sugarcoat it. There you go. I love that. We have two different versions. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This is not becoming of you. <laughs> See, there we go. How can you not be How a fan of not cards? love that? Yeah, you got to be My mom up. doesn't like it. She, <laughs> she thinks this I'm making fun movie. of Southerners. But so. your dad loves it, right? Yeah, so my dad 50, thinks it's 50, hilarious. Are, fine. are you not? Huh? Are you not? It's not it's really middle, making fun of Middle Tennessee is, is a little bit different. We, right. we can kind of escape the redneck territory a little yeah, just yeah. a little bit sure. tell myself about living here <laughs> uh, <laughs> take it or leave it the cardinals miss Corey dickerson oh take it oh, oh leave it. who would ever yeah. say that huh Any, anytime you lose somebody named cd it's oh it's, well yeah it's I, that was it i have to take yeah, you're just not the same yeah, i forgot I about it and we brought him up yesterday because yeah. <laughs> we forgot about it. we were just talking about needing some of that veteran veteran presence <laughs> yeah yeah. Take it or leave it. If the Cardinals trade Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado asks for a trade. Take it. Leave it. Yeah. yeah. Nolan Arenado wants one. to try to win. That's a good take it or leave it. Yeah. That is a, a good really one. Good one. Yeah. And those two are extremely close. Yeah, they are. I don't think Arenado would be too well, happy about that. And I, I don't know. Maybe if I don't think, first of all, that they would try to move Goldie. But I also wonder if they would try to move him if he would invoke his no trade. Yeah, you yeah. think? I, I could absolutely see it. I don't. I don't see the wheels falling off 
to that degree. Well, I, I mean, they have. Well, I, I mean, I think <laughs> Randy, that, that is wheels off, car, engine out. Like, it, it, it's the panic been deserted. In pieces. He got one of those stickers on it. It's been deserted for for weeks now. We we aren't at that point. We we're we're a few wheels down. Right? We got. But we got a spare tire, and we got AAA on the way at some point. Yeah. Maybe. Somebody might have stolen this spare tri- tire at this point. I don't know. <laughs> we just sitting on bricks. <laughs> if I'm the Cardinals, I'm more inclined to try to extend to Goldschmidt. And Wayno told us yesterday, Wayno said that on Tuesday night at 1 in the morning, he and Goldie are texting back and forth, and Goldie t- texted, I can't believe this is happening on my watch. He's prideful. Yeah. Yes. And he gets what the Cardinals are all about. That's not the guy you want to move. You, what you want to move is the guys that don't care. I don't think there are any guys that don't care on this team. I, I think that this is just a team that is losing games. And I, I will say this until somebody actually hears me. When you are losing, I promise, you just find ways to lose. Let me it's, put it this way. It's like the, the universe yeah. is not aligning with you on everything that you're doing. When you're winning, everything goes well. Yeah. I, I think if you here, – here's my understanding. Is it, I shouldn't say they don't care about winning. There are players that – and it's perhaps through no fault of their own – that have come through youth baseball and the Cardinal system who are more concerned about doing things to get a big contract that, than they yes. are about winning baseball games. That I could, I mean, especially if you are a young player and hasn't gotten paid yet. Mm-hmm. When, you're, when you are a veteran or, or you are a, like Jordan Walker's a young player, hasn't gotten paid, but he knows that that's well on the way at some point. But there are some players that haven't received that big contract, and this is, this is your life. This is your livelihood. You want to be able to take care of your family and take care of yourself for the rest of your life. So, yeah, you you do want to get paid, but how do you get paid? You play well. And when you play well, they pay well. Other than that, you ain't going to get nothing. That's the thing. But to me, playing well is having a runner at second with less than two out and giving yourself up to move the runner to third. Uh, playing well is concentrating on playing great defense and doing things to enhance the team's ability to win through playing good, solid, fundamental baseball and not making mistakes to cause your team to to lose baseball games. What I consider playing well is winning. Yeah. And what yeah. what management and players consider well today is doing things individually. It's an individual sport. Yep. It is. Take it or leave it. You really want to hear Brooks say Medulla Oblongata now. No. Medulla Medulla Oblongata. <laughs> it's, all, it's that extra. It's that extra at the end. Medulla Oblongata. Yeah. I love it. I love that movie. I love, so, I yes. love that movie so much. You like the Southern Southern Bell? I, I think voice. it's awesome. Uh, it, it is amazing to me. That that's an accent that definitely has gone away. It used to be very prominent where you didn't have the actual like hillbilly talk mm. down in the South. Yeah, you had like the more classier <laughs> version of that hillbilly talk, Brooke. Oh, oh it, it gets rough in a certain it, part. It, it's sometimes <laughs> it gets it's hard rough. to understand. It is. It's hard to, excuse and, me? And my family, and you, look. You say that again, sir? Half of my family, on my mom's side, specifically, uh, and my fiance, the first time he met some of my family, my mom's <laughs> side, could not understand what they're saying. He literally looked at me and was like, what did he just say? Because we have Lil John, Big John, and they start talking, and then it just gets going. And I love them to death. It's not making fun of them. I love accents. I love I every single accent. And so it just throws some people off, I think. You legitimately have uncles named Little John and Big John? Yeah, that's what we... So we have Big John. So instead of senior, you say Big John, Little John. We have Big Mark, Little Mark. See, I was... I was... I was Le Carey. 
Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. That's my dad's awesome. Big Carrie. Look Carrie, not Little Carrie. Look Carrie. That's cool. Yeah, right. look like, it, like, that's my name. Like, when my kids look, look, look Carrie. Like, they don't call me Carrie. Look Carrie. Like, all together. Look Carrie. I'm really glad those nicknames didn't stick in my family. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. And coming up next on 101 ESPN, the Cardinals. Well, the number of the day is scheduled to arrive. The number of the day is five. I was ready to say hops and kicks. Oh, that would be number six. We're getting close. We aren't going to have a show for that, unfortunately. <laughs> That'll be Saturday morning. Uh, but uh, we do have bird droppings coming your way here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We're flying down to the field to give you the latest on your St. Louis Cardinals. This is Bird Watch on the Opening Drive. Time for Bird Droppings here on 101 ESPN. Oh, there oh, we go. Yeah. And guys, I think there is a perception out there that a lot of people just want the Cardinals to replace the manager and replace him with whomever. And I don't think that's the case. I think if the Cardinals are going to ascend from where they are by replacing the manager, they need to make a dramatic philosophical change. And one thing the Cardinals have done ever since they brought in Tony Larusa is failed to bring in people from the outside, whether it is the front office or whether it is in the manager's chair or even for the most part in the coaching staff. Mike Maddox is not one of these guys. They've promoted from within, and it's a good thing to promote from within. But as we have seen, the Cardinals system the Cardinals' style of building a roster, the Cardinals' style of playing ball has deteriorated and by many organizations been passed up. Tampa Bay Rays have the best record in baseball. They brought in Kevin Cash from the outside to be their manager. The Texas Rangers bring in outside voices in general manager Chris Young and manager Bruce Bochy. The Baltimore Orioles bring in Mike Elias and Brandon Hyde from the outside as their GM-coach combo. The Atlanta Braves bring in Alex Anthopoulos from outside their organization to be their GM. The Arizona Diamondbacks brought in Mike Hazen to be their GM from the outside. Houston brings in, even after winning, an outside manager, an outside general manager. The Yankees bring in Aaron Boone. The Dodgers bring in Andrew Friedman from the outside. The Miami Marlins bring in Kim Ng and Skip Schumacher. Toronto does it. So one of the things the Cardinals have to do is maybe get an idea of what's working for other teams and bring in a voice from the outside, a fresh voice from the outside with perhaps some new ideas because what worked for the Cardinals a decade ago and even five years ago has been passed up. And the teams that are succeeding now, the top two teams in baseball, Tampa Bay and Texas, they've gotten away from going all in on analytics, and they're allowing people to actually be baseball people. The team that's hiring the most scouts that are watching players right now is the Tampa Bay Rays. So it's not just as simple as saying, replace the manager with Stubby Clapper, Joe McEwing, or, or Pop Warner. If the Cardinals are going to change managers, it's fruitless to do it and, and promote from within. They need to bring in somebody from the outside. But yeah. that... That goes against what, when we had Greg on, that goes against their philosophy. It does, if, totally. If there is one thing that, that we learned and, and what we all learned from the last segment with Greg is they have a philosophy on what they want to do, how they want to do it, and if you aren't abiding by those rules, you won't be here. So the the the, the angst or the anger towards Ali Marmol is 
it's not in, directed in the right place. Right. It's directed in the wrong place with Ollie because he's doing what's asked of him, and the front office is di- giving these directives, and it's not working out. And there's only one person that can change that, and that's Bill DeWitt Jr. The Cardinals have a well-earned ego, but it hasn't been well-earned over the course of the last couple of years. And that ego is out of control now. And they have to understand that there are other people that are doing it right and take advantage of the knowledge of people that are interested in this organization that can help them win. Because their own philosophy is not helping them win right now. I agree. You need a fresh set of eyes because, once again, if things are continuing to go in this direction and you have this consistent trend, then you have to do something different. If this isn't working, if this isn't working, only promoting from within. And I get that. That's a great thing to be able to say when you're bringing in guys into your organization is, look, we we promote from within. But then when you start to see that track record, too, of if you get to that point, like the coveted managerial role, is that something you really want? Because it doesn't seem like it has been working out in recent years. It hasn't been working out in the way of... You also look at, too, kind of the experience, too, Mm -hmm. and you could say, okay, well, Ollie's never managed at this level. Mike Schilt never managed at this level. Is it truly setting up teams for success in that way? Maybe you do need to have more of a presence from outside the organization and a more veteran presence, somebody who's been through that full grind. George Kissel isn't walking through that door. No. Well, I I know we're going to get to the next person, but if what what do – what what is the expectation if you have managers that you're firing for going against the grain now you got a guy that is essentially doing the same thing that you're asking him to do and this is the record who when the 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 when the person that is doing the hiring is the one that's not doing it correctly, who who fires him? You said Bill DeWitt, it's but a, that that, that has to be yeah. the person that does it. And if and at some point you have to make a decision that we're going to be better, and it starts with me. I said it earlier. Everything starts at the top. Great organizations start at the top, and they work their way down, and those people follow suit. And if it's not good at the top, then it's not going to be good on the field. And you have a real problem if it's more important to do it my way than it is to win games. Yes. I agree 100%. So my bird dropping is uh, is really bird dropping. It's, it's Wilson Contreras. And I got this from, uh, <clears throat> I don't want to take credit from it, because T-Mac said this the other day, and I was listening and on the way home. And right now, Wilson Contreras is batting 130 since that kerfuffle of him no longer being the starting catcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. We were, he was, he was, Performing pretty well. At that point, he was batting 271 with an OPS of 764. But since that moment, he has gone, he has really spiraled downhill to the tune of he batted 158 in the month of May. He's batting 100, 100 in the month of June. And it all started with that situation of him not going to be the Cardinals long-term catcher. That was the conversation. He's not going to catch. We're going to we're going to get him situated in the outfield. He's going to be the primary DH. We're going to move him from this spot because he's not doing the things we need him to do. And from that moment, it has just spiraled downhill and the the amount of mental anguish that is put on a player, the amount of mental stress, I get it. You're making eight, eight, $87.5 million. No one cares. Nobody worries about it. You, you're a millionaire. At the end of the day, each one of these men, despite what their contract says, wants to perform well. They want to earn the money that they are given. And he is struggling right now because of all of the things that took place 
up in that moment of him no longer being the catcher for the St. Louis Cardinals, the job that he signed up for, the job that he watched his idol play for many years, for decades, and, and be a part of this organization, he wanted to do the same thing, and then the Cardinals decided that he would not. And from that moment, he's struggling at the plate. The one thing that he's done well his entire career, he's not doing well, and it's primarily because of – the mental part of this game and what that moment took on him, what the toll that that moment took on him. Yeah, yeah. I, I talked about that yesterday too with Wilson Contreras. I think it's very clear that this is wearing on him. Even remember right after that happened when they moved him away and he did respond really well. He had yeah. a lot of energy. Doesn't it feel like just watching him out there on the field that that energy is lost? And then you couple that with his comments the other day about how he says that he's lost his trust, he's lost his confidence. That could mean a lot of different things but when you have such a public public shaming of you even though you're the one that was brought in it wasn't an arranged marriage this is something that everybody had to agree upon they didn't have to sign the check to bring him here they could have done more to help him feel more comfortable here he's not going to be yachty that's what i said yesterday he is not going to be yachty nobody ever said that he was going to be yachty but you expected him to kind of just exactly fill that role that is not fair to him it's not fair to the rest of the organization as well and i'm talking specifically about the roster the players because it seems like that also affected the trust amongst the pitching staff too right yeah, it's it's frustrating to watch because we know we've seen him. We we, we watched him. He's a he's a guy that you can at tell. the plate he performs, and right now he's lost his way. He and looks it is not confident. It, it's it's unfor- it's it's unfortunate to watch, and it's uncomfortable to watch because he to me is a really good guy, but he's just struggling at the plate. My bird dropping is specifically yesterday. It, it's concerning. Because Giovanni Gallegos comes in and you should feel confident. He had four days of rest. I don't think that was a bad decision putting him in the game. He had enough rest. There's nothing that you should be concerned about with Giovanni Gallegos. Also, he's gone eight with, he has eight save opportunities in his last 10. Um, you would think in that situation he would be just fine. But it's just kind of what we've seen with the Cardinals this season, right? Nobody's fine. Everything keeps imploding. That was. The 15th blown save for the Cardinals this season. 15th blown save. And guess what? And I know that Ryan Helsley accounts for a good majority of that, but you still need Ryan Helsley. And with him going on the IL with the forearm strain, it really concerns me about this pitching staff and specifically the bullpen moving forward. Yeah, it's uh, th- that's a troubling statistic. You can't have that because they've got 15 saves and 15 blown saves you can't blow that many leads percentage wise and expect to contend and that's another part of the issue that the the cardinals are dealing with is that there really is no rhyme or reason to how they've utilized the bullpen throughout the course of the season normally you the good teams have a closer in place. Camilo Duvall comes in. He's the ninth inning guy for the Giants, and that's why they're in the hunt right now. They would be in the playoffs. When you look at, again at the best teams in baseball, they have a closer, and the Cardinals, it's the old quarterback thing. If you have three closers, that means you don't have one, and that's where the Cardinals are right now. By the way, I've got one. Can I get one more bird dropping sound? Am I allowed? Okay, hold on. We'll find it. One more bird dropping sound. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll say this. One of the great things about having, uh, I love the idea of having a secure manager, a guy who's comfortable in his own skin. And I go back to 1986. Jack Clark got hurt on June 24th. He 
tore a thumb ligament sliding into uh, a base. He was out for the season, had surgery. Cardinals won the next game on June 25th, then proceeded to lose eight in a row. And during the course of that eight-game losing streak, Whitey Herzog, who had been to a couple of World Series with the Cardinals and won one, was confident enough to say, as he looked at his team, to the writers and the broadcasters, boys, it's just not going to happen this year. And I wish that <laughs> I, I wish that uh, Ollie was just uh, confident and secure enough to be able to say, or John Mozeliak, it's just not going to happen this year. If we're in this, if we're still in this rut in July, July fifteenth, mm-hmm. yes, it's over. Yeah, and the, by the way, the Cardinals at that point, when Clark got hurt, the Mets were awesome. Cardinals were fifteen and a half games behind in the division. They were thirty-one and thirty-seven. Then they had that eight-game losing streak, so they're thirty-two and forty-five at the end of the eight-game <laughs> losing streak, and twenty-three <laughs> games out. And you could, everybody knew it. So why not just have an, a manager that's honest enough to say it ain't going to happen this year? That was those were the days. It was great and. Players ate hot dogs and drank beer. It was just, it was so much fun. It was Maybe great. that's what they need. They just need a good uh, night out yeah, or something help. like that. Yeah. As Keith Hernandez said one time, he and Joaquin went out and had a bottle of wine. Their oh. version of a bottle of wine might have been a little bit different, but we know where they were coming during the game. It was, a, uh, it was a slump buster, as it were. Uh, coming up next, we need a fighter for the fight here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome to the fight! In the red corner, average Joe listener! And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive, please welcome Randy Carricker! Welcome back to the opening drive. I'm Kerry Davis, joined by Brooke Grimsley, and it is time for the fight. And our fighter today is Ryan. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Yourself? I'm doing wonderful. Are you uh, ready to take on Megamind? I'm going to sure try. Now, he told me in the hall, I wasn't here yesterday. He told me in the hall that he got four right yesterday. So he's uh, he's on a bit of a heater. Is that two days in a row of four? four? I think he, yeah, I think he so. got the jack on Yeah, he's on feeling Tuesday. confident right he's, uh, now. Ryan, now, right. you got you to gotta lock in and dial in. Are you ready? I'm going to try. All right, here we go. Following the Cardinals' trade of Keith Hernandez after 54 games that year, who started the majority of the games at first base for the club? Is it David Green, Andy Van Slyke, or George Hendricks? Uh, Van Slyke. Of the NHL's original six, which team has the fewest Stanley Cup wins? Is it the New York Rangers, Boston Bruins, or Chicago Blackhawks? Rangers. Since 1970, there has been one expansion team in the American four major sports history to win a championship within three years. Who was it? Is it the Milwaukee Bucks, the Arizona Arizona Diamondbacks, or the Baltimore Ravens? Mm. Diamondbacks were early. I'm going to just have to go with them. Despite years of Trout, Pujols, and Otani, it's been over 20 years since an Angel led their league in home runs. Who is the last Angel to lead the American League in home runs? Garrett Anderson, Vladimir Guerrero, or Troy Gloss? Troy Gloss. We will double-check the scores, and we will bring in Randy Carricker. 
Ryan, how you feeling? Um, relatively confident. I think I got at least two. Okay. Well, well you might need at least two, maybe three. <laughs> Randy is uh is pretty know. dang on oh, good. He's at got this the propel. Thing. Yeah, he's and he's got a little pep in his step. He seems prepared for today's fight. He had a banana before. Yeah. Too. He did have a banana. Okay, well, yeah, good luck, Ryan. Randy, say hello to Ryan. Ryan, good morning. How you doing? Good morning, yourself. I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks just, for listening. Thanks I just, for playing. I just noticed something. Do you do that every time? Do you queue up your machine every time oh, when no, you come I, in? I had to get to a different section just in case I do win. Is that what it is? Uh, is because, it just in case yeah. or is it more of a, so, a, a celebrity, you know, a celebratory thing, preparation? I, I've got five banks of sound. Okay. And so I was on bank two because I had the number five sound, okay. the, the number of the day. So just in case I do win, I want to have it so that I can... Just, press the just win, baby. Oh, just in case. Just a it, little it, pre, just in case. In, in the rare occurrence that I, I do win, I like to be prepared. Ryan, I'm rooting for you. <laughs> All right, there we go. Following the Cardinals trade of Keith Hernandez after 54 games that year, who started the majority of games at first base for the club? This is one of my favorite trivia questions. Oh, good job, Ryan. Yeah. No, it's not. Yeah. No, it's, no, no, it's I not. Always use this. It was George Hendrick. It was awesome. It was, there you go. And George didn't like it at all, by the way, because there was too much action over at first base. <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, it was George Hendrick. You're not messing with me. No. He likes okay, because I had to change the question to that because you mentioned the trade facts earlier in the show. Oh. So I pulled that one out oh, out, yeah. out of nowhere. No, it was, no, this it was, is, okay. it was George. This is what I get to prepare. It truly is one of my favorite trivia questions. Okay. Mm. That's a good question. So we'll just this add to that conspiracy that theory. Knew. Well, don't. <laughs> just tee it up for him, huh? <laughs> Rock and Anyways, of the, for the fight. <laughs> of the NHL's original six, which team has the fewest Stanley Cup wins? Hmm. Well, the... Uh, Rangers have won once since the 1940s. Canadians and Maple Leafs both have a lot. Blackhawks, Bruins, and Red Wings. Red Wings have a lot. Well, they they have more. I think I'm going to... I don't think the Rangers have had a great deal of success. So, I mean, when you're talking about one championship in roughly 80 years. And I know that the Hawks have at least four because they won in 1961 plus the three most recent ones. I know the Brewers or the Brewers, the Bruins have had a reasonable level of success. I know the Canadians and Maple Leafs have won a lot. Uh, So I'm going to go with the New York Rangers having the fewest. All right, Randy, since 1970, there is one expansion team in the American four major sports history to win a championship within three years. Hmm. Who was it? Okay, well, let's start with this. It's not an NFL team. And obviously the, uh, the Golden Knights were the fastest in, in six years in the NHL. So that leaves me MLB in the NBA. The... Um, Diamondbacks started in 98, 99, 2000, 2001. They run in their fourth year. The Rockies didn't the since 1970. Uh, Rockies, Mariners, Blue Jays, Marlins, none of them did. So we'll move to the NBA. I, I guess I'll do the lifeline. I'm thinking it's probably an NBA team. I'll go with that. Milwaukee Bucks. Mm. Arizona Diamondbacks or the Baltimore Ravens? Well, the Baltimore Ravens were an expansion team in the in the uh, what 30s? Yes, 
in the old AAFL, so it wasn't them. They were the Cleveland Browns. And as I said, the Diamondbacks won in their fourth year, so that leaves, by process of elimination, the Milwaukee Bucks, who I think in 1970... I don't know when they started. I'm assuming 68, right? Uh, but they won with uh, Lou Alcindor as their center. Hmm. So I'll, go, I'll go with the Milwaukee Bucks. For okay. Got to get in that brand of yours, Randy. Hmm. Watch this process. Despite yeah, years of trout pool holes and Otani, it's been over 20 years since an angel led their league in home runs. Who was the last angel to lead the American League in home runs? Hmm, this, is, this is a good one. Um, more than 20 years. I'm going to say that maybe our former third baseman here, Troy Gloss, you had Tim Salmon, you had, so more than, well, let's see. So we're going back to uh, 2000. Okay, so this is their championship run. So it, Mark Trumbo was after that. So it's got to be either Salmon or Gloss, and I'm going to go with Troy Gloss, the former Cardinal, who, by the way, never dove for a ball. <laughs> <laughs> there are going to be accusations of rigging. <laughs> What's new? <laughs> Ring that bell. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. The winner and still champion of the fight. Randy Carricker. The fight is presented by Golf Discount of St. Louis with the most experienced club fitters in town. Why shop anywhere else? Just win, baby. Don't stop believing. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Oh, it's too hot. We're on to Cincinnati. Well, Ryan, and I kind of walked you across the gang plague on that one, so my apologies there, but Randy beat you 4-2 to two today. Hey, at least I got the two I thought. There you go. <laughs> Good job. There you go. Good the job, confidence. Man. I like it. Let's go through those questions and those answers. Following the Cardinals trade of Keith Hernandez after 54 games in 1983, who started the majority of games at first base for the club? Apparently a favorite of Randy Carricker, this question, and it is George Hendricks. Uh, Dane Orge. Hendrick. Hendrick. No, no Hendrick, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Dane Orge. Started like eleven games there, and then it was that's that's one hundred and sixty-two. <laughs> George was funny because George didn't talk to many people, but he sure did not did not like. He would talk to us as ushers. He he loved what? talking to everybody except yeah. for writers. Why did he hate first base? <laughs> uh, because there was just too much action. The ball was he he liked to be lazy on the outfield. <laughs> too too much going on at first base. That's fantastic. Mm, Players mm, getting paid mm. a couple million bucks back then still? No. Uh, okay. He might have no, been. That's fair. All right, fair enough. He loved the, the 82 club in homers. Of the NHL's original six, which team has the fewest Stanley Cup wins? The Bruins and Blackhawks each have six. The New York Rangers have just four, the fewest of the original six. Since 1970, there's one expansion team in the American major for sports history to win a championship within their first three years. It is, in fact, the Milwaukee Bucks, who, again, uh, were so terrible in year two. They won the pick uh, over the Phoenix Suns, and they drafted a man by the name of Lou Alcindor. He would change his name, and they would win a championship in year three, like you said, the Diamondbacks year four. And despite years of Trout, Pujols, and Shohei Otani, it's been over 20 years since an angel led the AL in home runs. The last angel to do so, 47 home runs, and in 2000, Troy Glaus is the man, the eventual Cardinal in that situation. Randy wins the fight 4-2 to again this week. Ryan, thank you so much for joining the fight and joining the show. All right, thank you. Thank, thank you, Ryan. Ryan. Appreciate it. I- 
can I interest you in another uh, sound? That yeah. he's on fire. The NBA Jam one. Oh you, yeah, we gotta we gotta put that one on there. So, so yeah. Randy, especially when you get four in a row, two or three days in a row. So yeah. if Randy doesn't like a question, <laughs> or if Randy says he really likes a question. <laughs> Either way, <laughs> I'm kind of in trouble. Yeah. Okay. Are the textures not no, happy? Okay, that's no, fine. I, we didn't have anyone. Uh, uh, anyone we had say one anything. from the three and four that said Randy shouldn't shouldn't allow to shouldn't, gloat. Well, shouldn't, shouldn't be allowed. Yeah, yeah. but they mm-hmm. put shouldn't allow to gloat when you tee the questions up like that. Yeah, I, 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 I won't gloat anymore. Win, 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 win. Oh, Don't he's gonna get it. Oh, it's too. I won't gloat. Won't gloat at all. It's just a machine, right? Yeah, it's just it, a, it, it, it just a, does its own thing. Yeah. Not going crazy. crazy. Randy, it's so damn hot. Milk was a bad choice. <laughs> well, um, see, here's the thing. I stole number four from a different publication, so you can blame them for that one. Number okay. one, hundred percent Randy's fault. I had a different question that he probably would have gotten right, but wouldn't what, have liked as much. What was the original? Who did get? Yeah, it was. It was. A, it was just around the actual particulars of the trade. Yeah, he would have known that clearly because he yeah. talked about what he was doing 40 years ago on that day. For some reason, I and thought what I'll... he did after the trade. Like, that's, honestly, that's... honestly, when <laughs> I was changing it, I kind of, I kind of was worried. I was like, this is gonna be the one where he's like, who knows this one? I literally can't remember what I did four days ago. How the <laughs> hell do you remember what you were doing 40 years ago? I can see that <laughs> trade showing up on the scoreboard in my mind's eye. That is troubling yeah. to me. Yeah. I don't know. I, I got to go get talked to And then to you just happen to remember that George Hendrick hated being talk, like talk hated talking to media oh, and playing first base. George huge Laker fan. He he loved Moses Malone when he played for Philly. George even though he didn't talk to the media, great guy. And then wound up being a hitting coach for the Cardinals and the other teams had a very successful career as a coach too. But what and by the way, credit to the late great Rick Hummel. George would talk to him all the time, not, uh, not on the record. And so uh, Rick Hummel developed a great relationship with him as well. And because George knew me from being an usher, he would talk to me, but obviously not with the, the microphone on generally. Coming up next, the, the Cardinals lost their fifth in a row yesterday. What what, what happened? That's uh, they, they cost us 60 cent drinks, for gosh sakes. Uh, that's next like that. on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. The Cardinals lose their fifth in a row yesterday. We need to do this, don't we? Do we, do we, need, to, uh, do we need this to happen? The number of the, oh, the number of the day scheduled to arrive. The number of the day is five. Cardinals have dropped five in a row. Yesterday, Tommy Edmond hits a grand slam. Tommy Edmond. Uh, they're up four to two. And then in the third inning, Jordan Walker singles home a run. By the way, hard hit ground ball uh, got through. I don't know how that happens, but uh, somebody got a hit by hitting a, a line driver ground ball. But it, it did happen. And then after Walker, Dylan Carlson gets a base hit. Walker moves to third. So you've got a runner at third with one out. DeYoung grounds into a fielder's choice. Kisner strikes out. And all of a sudden, you blow that opportunity to get us a sixth run and 60 cent drinks today. And the Cardinals wound up on the day, kids, going, I think, let me double check here, uh, checking my notes. It was uh, with runners in scoring position, three for 11. Three for 11 with runners in scoring position. So we can put it on 
Giovanni Gallegos. We can put it on Ali Marmol. By the way, sensational performance. We shouldn't be overlook the great job by Jordan Montgomery yesterday. Six and a third, three runs, seven hits. He walked two and struck out seven, threw only 98 pitches. I don't think they trust him to throw anything more than 98 pitches or go a, a third time into Well, they clearly don't trust him to go a third time in the lineup. But there were a lot of opportunities for the Cardinals to build on that lead. They had multiple pitchers on the ropes, and they just weren't able to take advantage of it. No, not not at all. And, and that's a prevailing theme, by the way. It is a continuing theme, and everybody's tired of hearing it, right? You're tired of hearing the excuses. You're tired of seeing them lose in many different ways, and it seems like the losses lately, it's on everything. It's pitching and offense. The inability to score with runners in scoring position or bring in runners is just baffling at this point. This offense was built to be a lot better than it is. Nolan Arenado was a big piece of that. Paul Goldschmidt, a big piece of that. Nolan Gorman has been a very, very nice surprise. But where's the rest of the offense as well? And even with those three names that I listed before, they should be doing more. And and that is on the players in that aspect. And even with the pitching staff, the pitching staff is still not performing well. I mean, if you look at the OPS is bad when it comes to other teams Mm -hmm. compared to the major league standings. The pitching staff's ERA is not good either. The starting pitching ERA is not good. The bullpen, what did we say earlier? They now have 15 blown saves and 30 chances this season. What is something that you can hang your hat on right now where this part is good enough to get this team into a direction where they will win more games? Even if they had won half of those games that they'd blown a save, they'd be first or, or second in the division mm-hmm. right now. There's seven or eight wins and seven or eight less lo- less losses. They would be at the top of the division right now. And so that is an issue. Um, I think you, you're going to have to, obviously, Helsley being out, you're going to figure out Jordan Hicks may work himself back into a closer's role at some point. I, I don't know. It just feels like the entire season, whatever button that is pushed, that feels like it's the right person, in that moment has not been the right person in that moment. So maybe at some point you go against what your your gut tells you to do or what the numbers tell you to do. If it says Gallegos, yeah, Jordan Hicks, it's you. If it says Jordan Hicks, okay, Gallegos, it's you. It's Stratton, okay, Drew Verhagen, it's you. You just feel like you have to go, especially eighth and ninth innings, it seems like whatever, whomever you put in in that moment, it almost feels like it needs to be someone else instead of that person. Right. And – to Brooks Point, what do you really like? What part of it do you like? It's interesting. The Cardinals are averaging offensively 4.57 runs a game. League average is 4.56. The Cardinals are closer to average than any other team in Major League Baseball in terms of runs per game. Uh, the Cardinals' team ERA is 4.28, or 4.41 rather. League average is 4.28. The Cardinals mm-hmm. are closer to average than any other ERA in Major League Baseball. They're eminently average. So that's yeah. that's what you're looking at right now. Is Even though they're way under 500, their run differential isn't outrageously bad because they had those blow-ups offensively against the Brewers and Dodgers. But they are statistically a pretty average ball club. And that's what you're seeing. You're also seeing a ball club that cannot find a way to just win a game. Even looking at that 10th inning, you saw a team in the Giants that found a way to win. Even if it was by singles or anything like that, they found a way to push back. They were able to capitalize with runners in scoring position. How come the Cardinals can't do that in those clutch situations this season? How can you explain how they have an inability to do that this season to win 
in clutch ways or even come up with the crucial hitting in crucial moments. Maybe that's something that Albert brought to the table and his knowledge and attitude permeated throughout the offense. The 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 ability to hit in the clutch. Albert Pujols, yeah. 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 I mean, it's it's I think they'll they'll figure some things out at the play that Jordan Walker has been he's on an eight game hitting streak. He's been phenomenal yeah, since he he was pretty good when he left, yep. but he's been just as advertised since he's been back. They'll figure something out. It's just guys have to do their job. When your number is called, when you get that opportunity, do the best of your ability, and your best of your ability is more than enough. Yep. Coming up, we've got a lot to talk about with the Blues. Four years ago right now, we were getting ready for the Blues Stanley Cup Championship Parade. We're going to t- talk to Oscar Sundquist about his memories of, of the parade. Uh, we also want to hear from you. What were you doing? Tell us about your day at the parade with the mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. We'll do that at 9.15. Jeremy Rutherford at 9.30, and then rock and roll at 9.45. Before we visit with our friend Michelle Smallman, we're here till 11 and uh, small is going to join us in the the first half of the 10 o'clock hour to reminisce about the Blues Stanley Cup championship four years ago, the parade, and uh, how she would rather have gone to a concert than game three of the Stanley Cup finals. That's next. uh, Michelle's coming up, but next is Oscar Sundquist on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Talk about that ozone, maybe climbing higher with their F3. Shoot the puck and get to the f***ing net. Make hard plays, support each other. Five-man units in all three zones. Need numbers around the puck all f***ing night. Let's go, f***ing boys. Pump it up here. We're here for a f***ing reason, because we're a f***ing good hockey team, and we're going to f***ing come home with a cup here tonight. Let's f***ing go. Sonny? Bo Perry Benner, let's go. Craig Berube's speech before Game 7 against Boston before the Blues won the Stanley Cup. And four years ago, right now, we were getting ready for the Blues' incredible Stanley Cup championship parade, perhaps the greatest sports championship parade ever. And you heard Craig Berube say, uh, Sonny, Perry, Bo, Benner, and Oscar Sundquist. Sonny joins us now on the Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN with Brooke Grimsley and Kerry Davis. Sonny, this is Randy Carricker. Thanks for joining us this morning. How are you doing? Good, guys. Good. Thanks for having me. Hey, what was it like in that room when uh, when Chief was giving that speech? You know, it's uh, for uh, everyone's got so excited after it. You know, you could see and or and see and hear uh, Chief's voice. Uh, how excited he was and how, how pumped up he was. You know, he he kind of fired everyone off, uh, and everyone just went from there. Sonny, we've been talking about, obviously, this is the anniversary of the parade, but just also celebrating what you guys were able to accomplish. So much change in that year, because I talked about, and I remember specifically, when you guys were the worst in the NHL and you were able to turn things around. How much did head coach Craig Berube have to do with that? Uh, I mean, he he had a ton to do with it, obviously. He he felt like he gave everyone their confidence back and, and kind of, uh, raised the the work level to to another level and and all that stuff. So uh, I think mostly it was just the confidence. He he was talking about it from day one that we need our confidence back. And uh, I mean he's a huge part of the turnaround. Oscar, I was watching the uh, NBA Finals the other day, and Nikola Jokic, after the finals, was on the podium, and he looked at his phone, and he put his phone down because there was just too many missed calls and text messages. How many phone calls and how many people were upset that you weren't able to get back to them? I, I think they were too too <laughs> upset about it. 
they they, they understood. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a lot of them. Uh, but you know, you you go through them uh, throughout the week as, as as much as you can. And uh, I mean, at the end, I got back to everyone. So I don't think there were too upset. With me, hopefully. All right, Sonny, you come home, you guys get off the plane, go right to OB Clark's and spent a lot of time there. I know you went to Anheuser-Busch, you were at the beer garden over there. I know that a few of you guys, maybe you, spent some time over at the wheelhouse before the parade. If you could give us an idea of, uh, after you won Game 7, the two days between Game 7 and the parade, did you sleep? Uh, not a whole lot. (laughs) I would say a total of four hours, maybe. Uh... That's about it. I had a little nap after after we came home. Uh, before we went to OBs, I went home and took a hour and a half nap, and then I, I got right back up and went in there. So uh, not a lot of sleep, but you know, it's, uh, you're just having so much fun, and you're so so excited about everything. You kind of forget about sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> well, also with the parade too, and it'll be fair if you don't remember everything about parade because about the parade because it was so much fun. But what do you remember most about the parade? Because I remember specifically you guys getting off the float at floats and interacting with the fans. I just felt like a very special moment. You know that that's probably the thing you're gonna you're gonna remember forever. Just that part that you you were basically never in your in your car or in your vehicle. You were just walking by the fans and, and just uh, hugging and celebrating with them. That was probably the most most memorable moment from from that whole thing. So uh, all the, just hanging out with the fans and actually getting to celebrate with them was, was unreal. Oscar, obviously doing all of the things with the fans and family is exciting, but you got to grab that cup and have it for a day. What what did your day consist of, and and where did you go? Uh, I actually got I got picked up from the or picked them up rather uh, from the airport with a with a military helicopter uh, flew yes. flew back to my flew back to my hometown with it uh, kind of just landed outside the the hockey rink where I grew up uh, uh, went in there and celebrated with with with, uh, with my hometown uh, for for a couple of hours and then kind of just straight home to my parents. So then, then it becomes more a family and friends uh, kind of thing, and uh, just enjoying the moment with them. You know, it's it's just so awesome to see see your the look in your family and friends' uh, eyes when they when they see the Stanley Cup. It's like they it's like they're becoming little kids again. Former Blue Oscar Sunquist with us on 101 ESPN, Stanley Cup champion Oscar Sunquist. And Sonny, I'm looking right now at the photo from behind you players underneath the arch as you guys are looking at the grounds of the arch and everybody is shoulder to shoulder. Everybody was packed in like sardines, a million and a half people. What was that view? Can you see that in your mind's eye right now? What were you thinking as you saw all those people celebrating the Stanley Cup? Yeah, you know, as soon as you got up there, you, you kind of looked over uh, all those people, you, you still couldn't believe how many people that showed up and came out for that. Uh, uh, it, it was it was awesome to see, and same same thing there. It's it's another memory from the from the parade that's that's gonna live with us for for the rest of our lives. Could you believe, by the way, that there were a bunch of people? Did you notice the people hanging off the parking garages as you made the turn towards the arch? Yeah, oh, definitely. It was it felt like it was people hanging from all all kinds of objects during, during that whole that whole day. Sonny, I don't know if you still keep in contact. I'm sure you do with Ivan Barbashev and Alex Petrangelo. What did you think about them getting their second Stanley Cup championship? Uh, yeah, obviously, obviously happy for them. Uh, I mean, they played a played a 
big role in, in Vegas, winning it, and, and especially especially Barbashev actually getting to show 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 the hockey world what he can do. So I'm super excited and happy for him, and uh, I've talked a little bit uh, with them both. So uh, I'm just super excited for him. You got to watch much of the Stanley Cup final? Uh, actually, not too much. Uh, you know, I was watching some, but then uh, most of the games were blowouts. So yeah. like every time I was going to start watching, it's already like 6-2 or something. So I was like, ah, oh, I, was, I, I, I asked that because Matthew Kachuk obviously not able to play, and I just want to know as a player the the most important game of the season at that point. How how does that impact you going forward in in a season, or how could that in in the following season? Excuse me. Uh, I mean, obviously it's gonna. I don't know if he's gonna be able to start the next season, but uh, obviously it 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 hurt them like just had missing him. Florida isn't the same, and for him to to not being able to play obviously is is ter- terrible. But uh, he he just needs to try to get back uh, back in the right mindset, which which I know he will, and get back strong in next season. So uh, we're not sure if he's probably going to be able to start next season, but I'm sure he's going to come back stronger. Hey Oscar, we've heard that you are a STL City super fan, and uh, Joachim Nielsen is one of your your favorite players. I know you're invested in St. Louis City SC. How are you enjoying the the soccer? Uh, I love it. It's it's been awesome. Uh, went into two games now. Uh, you know the atmosphere is crazy, and and you know it's it's like every sport I went. I feel like here in St. Louis, the fans really show up, having a great time. So. Uh, I'm just having a great time while I'm there, and it's a lot of fun to see see, see them succeeding right now. You're a free agent. Would you have any desire to come back to the Blues? Uh, oh yeah, for sure. Uh, but you know, it's it's a lot of a lot of talk and a lot of pieces gonna go together. But uh, hopefully, hopefully we can figure something out and uh, see see what's gonna happen here after the draft. Awesome. Well, we would love to have you back. I remember Craig Ruby saying that you're his favorite player. You were the engine for that Stanley Cup championship team, and uh, you're you're a great guy, a great St. Louisan, and a Stanley Cup champion. St. Louis Blue, what a day it was four years ago today with that parade, and thanks for the memories. We appreciate it, and hopefully we'll get some more in the future. Oh, thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. Take care. That's Oscar Sundquist, number 70. Hopefully he will be back with the St. Louis Blues. They can use a, an engine player like that. I've, in talking to my Friends that are hockey fans, we you, you go back to that fourth line of Sonny, Barbie, yes. Steiner, and add Jaden Schwartz to the mix. The Blues don't really have a guy like that right now on their team, and they could really use it. He was very physical, too. And what did we say this past season was missing? Some of that physicality, mm-hmm. that tenacity from some of the guys in the group, because you're not going to see that, no offense, but I think we all know from Robert Thomas or Jordan Cairo, Braden Shin felt like it was about as physical as it got every once in a while, Jake Neighbors as well. But Sonny, with his size... He definitely used him, his body out there a lot. And he drags people into the fight seat. Yes. That's why I sign him. Bring him back. Man, yeah. We need a center. Bring him back. You yep. need people that are aggressive, play both ends, and not afraid to punch people in the face if need be. And, and I, I enjoy that. And Coach loves him. Chief loves him. Thanks to Oscar Sunquist for joining us. Coming up, what were you doing four years ago today? How was your parade experience. Give us a mic drop with the 101 ESPN app. We'd love to hear from you. Your texts coming your way with our Rush Hour Reset. We'll do one thing on the Cardinals on the Rush Hour Reset and then it's you on the parade on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. 
It's time to recap the biggest sports stories of the day on the opening drive with a Rush Hour Reset. Brought to you by Clubhouse Turf, your exclusive partner of Celebrity Greens. We're redefining private golf. Cardinals lost yesterday in extra innings to the Giants, 8-5. Mike Yastrzemski with a two-out, two-strike, two-run homer in the ninth inning to tie the game at five. Giants score three in the tenth and win it by a score of 8-5. However, the first-place Brewers, if you're looking at those standings, did lose to the Twins 4-2, so the Cardinals didn't lose any ground to them. The Mets, uh, or the Cubs, uh, won their game uh, 10-6, but they beat the first-place Pirates. So if you're, again, looking at the standings, the Cardinals didn't lose any ground on first place. The Reds over the Royals 7-4, so the Cardinals will have to deal with the, the Reds down the, the line. But uh, standings didn't change dramatically yesterday. Four years ago right now, we were immersed in the Blues Stanley Cup Championship Parade, and it was amazing. Brooke, you had a chance to cover it. I had a chance to cover it. We're going to talk to Michelle Smallman, by the way, coming up in the 10 o'clock hour because Michelle and I covered it for 101 ESPN. But there are a couple of things that I remember, and I know Michelle has video of this. Uh, Vladimir Tarasenko taking the cup over to uh, a young person with yeah. Down syndrome oh. and lifting it up and allowing the mm-hmm. and hugging the the kid and then allowing them to, to be with the cup. Pat Maroon bringing the cup over to a veteran who was in a wheelchair, an older World War II veteran, and allowing a, a veteran to drink out of the cup. Somebody who had just spent so much time hoping for the Blues to win a Stanley Cup. And then, and Brooke, you were talking about your pictures from four years ago today. I've got a great shot of the unbelievable crowd. You could not see a patch of grass no. when the Blues took the stage right underneath the arch. It was all packed with people. It was. And the fans, it was such a great experience because if I remember correctly, it wasn't meant to be where the Blues were going to be interacting that much with no. the fans because things kept stalling. And so eventually the players just started getting out of their vehicles, floats, all that stuff, and started interacting with the fans. And so then you got all that great video and interaction and, you know, photos of the guys just taking the cups over to the fans, taking turns, handing it off to each other. You had their families with them as well. I remember Alex Petrangelo and his kids running around with it too. Vladimir Tarasenko gave it to his sons as well. And that was just like a beautiful image. And then you had the hometown hero, Patrick Maroon, he was able to share that moment with his son, who was just a huge part of Patrick Maroon coming back to St. Louis and it working out. And the fact that he was able to celebrate all of that with his son there was it was just such an incredible experience and everybody was very hammered and so i was i was the i was probably the only sober person there i mean other than you and uh michelle but i i think us media people were very sober and everybody else was extremely hammered and seeing the players just enjoy that too there's a lot of sunglasses worn that day i'm a hometown hero baby (laughs) i love seeing like i drinking out of the stanley cup has to be one of the coolest things ever like just beer Blowing all over the place. Yeah, yeah. That's with suds so down cool. the sides yeah. of his face. Yes. Now, I hope it was cleaned. Yeah, it doesn't oh, because the, the, no one cares. It was oh, pre-pandemic. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're even right. Even post. I Germs don't think, didn't exist yeah. before then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. clearly. <laughs> <laughs> so, what a phenomenal day. Let's uh, get to Neil, who joins us with a mic drop here on 101 ESPN. My fondest memory of the Stanley Cup parade is standing at the corner just before the I don't remember the name of the street but just before they go down to the arch grounds 
and uh, the cup had gone by and unfortunately I didn't get to touch it at the time because it missed me it went to 10 feet in front of me and then it went back out in the street and it came back like 20 feet down the road and then Armstrong's convertible comes driving up the street and he stops at the uh, right out in front of me he tells the driver to stop and he comes up and uh, gets out of the car and he walks all the way across the street he comes straight to me past everybody and he sticks his hand out and he shakes my hand and I said thank you he said and I said you did this mister this is your gig and he looks at me he says no thank you that's just so cool Neil thank you very much for the memory here's a text from 314 my wife and I got down there for the parade rally at 6 a.m. we returned home at 7:30 p.m. we had two huge golf umbrellas took way too many pictures and lost our voices since it may never happen again it was totally worth it best part hull on stage close second between Maroon and Bennington. Uh, and by the way, he says, I have Maroon for my text alert and Holly for my ringtone. Yeah, I, and that's how it is for so many people too. And I'm going through, I'm showing CD some of the videos that I have now. Another favorite is Jordan Bennington was so hyped and he was hyping up the crowd. Mm-hmm. He was spraying in the video I have, he's spraying champagne on the fans. Yeah. And then he somehow find, remember when he found like a mini bike or whatever it yep. was, and he started riding that around too. I don't know where that came from <laughs> or how he got a hold of that. But that I was a little. I remember being concerned because I'm like alcohol plus mini bike might not an accident. Well. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Not, but everybody made it out safely. There's one from the six three six. I took my firstborn son, who was three at the time, to the parade. I had him on my shoulders for about two hours, and he peed on me through his diaper. Oh. <laughs> we, then we sat in the parking garage for two hours trying to leave. That's great memories. <laughs> you never forget it. Here's one uh, from the 314. I was in Chicago to see Dead and Company the day of the parade wearing blues gear. Every time someone else from St. Louis would see me, we would yell out, let's go blues! So there were LGB (laughs) chants ringing through Wrigley. It was awesome. That is amazing. We just need something like that again. We, we need something like championships that Championships are fun. Man. Because that, that whole time period, there was a lot going on. You had the PGA Championship coming into town, or it came into town, and it was such a huge event. Tiger Woods was even talking about how great St. Louis mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. And then you had that run with the Blues. It, I just I want something else like that again soon. I miss that. Yeah, and nothing, I say this all the time, and I have yet to find somebody that can prove me wrong. The most galvanizing thing in the world, and certainly in our country, is sports. Sports is the one thing that can bring everybody together. Exactly. And it's happening in Vegas now. Despite what happened with the shootings in Denver, they're reveling in Denver with their championship. Sports does bring people together. Real quick from the 217. What about Robert Thomas being under 21 and smashing beers? <laughs> Who was keeping what? track? What? I don't Who know if that happened. Oh, he, that He's m- Canadian. That, that may have happened. I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> we, we don't want to yeah. throw him under the bus. Right. but yeah. He should be allowed to, right? Yeah, he's Canadian. He won the championship, yeah. It should be fine. That's, I, I think you get a pass when you win yeah, a Stanley Cup. Nobody is checking. No one's getting carded. Oh, there carded. were some people. Some there were some people upset about it. There, I was, remember there that. were people legitimately yeah. who were upset, uh, mad because this is terrible. Those people are mad about everything. Here's they the, should have just put a koozie. You know what the over funny thing is, so they, Gary? No one knew. Those people were alive when the drinking age in this state was 18. There you go. Uh, <laughs> all the people mad about it were alive back then. It's funny to me. Um, can I get some confirmation from the 636 on this one? Yeah. Best part of the championship was being in Bush Stadium watching it, and lo and behold, Warren Sapp was there and he shushed me? Oh, I didn't know was that. Warren Sapp at Bush Stadium for the Blues? And shushed somebody? Seven? 
I just need to know if Warren Sapp was there. I don't really care about him shushing anybody. That oh, seems for, for the for the watch party. Okay. For the watch party. Interesting. I didn't. I had no idea. I just idea. need somebody else in St. Louis to confirm nah. or deny whether or not they saw a Hall of Fame defensive tackle from yeah. Tampa Bay and Oakland in St. Louis. In St. Louis, watching random. in Bush Stadium, watching the Blues he, game. He just loves watching and in shushing Boston. people. He has the money to be at Game Seven in person. Why is he? At, why? Intriguing. I, I don't believe. Hmm, I don't want to see six three six is telling tales, but yeah, interesting. So what a day it was, and an unforgettable day on the St. Louis sports scene. Next up, we're going to get Jeremy Rutherford's memories of the parade and of the Stanley Cup, and find out about the new Blues assistant coaches. Next on one hundred and one ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on one hundred and one ESPN, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider, standing by. He, of course, from The Athletic, celebrated his 20th wedding anniversary yesterday. Congratulations on that. How'd everything go last night? Thank you, Mr. Carricker. Yeah, it was uh, it was absolutely great. Uh, G and Tony's down on the hill and uh, Frank Cusimano. Uh, told the wait staff it was our anniversary, so they brought a piece of uh, cake out, so my wife was happy. And good time, good time. So 20 years. Love it. Congratulations, Congratulations. and uh, Kusa always takes care of us, doesn't he? He's one of the best people in the world. He's great. He is, he is the best. He's the best. All right, so uh, let's start with this before we get to the new Blues assistant coaches. Tell us, and I think I recall, tell us about your experience in the Blues parade. <laughs> that was a memorable one, something I'll never forget. Uh, if you guys remember, it was kind of dreary. Was it going to be hot? Was it going to be rainy? Was it going to be steamy? What you know? What do you wear? And so I'm thinking shorts. Do I go jeans? And uh, I ended up going with the jeans just in case it poured. I was going to be uh, covered. So anyway, I get down on the uh, Jake Allen's float. He had a, uh, the fire truck. And so I jump on the back of that, and you're on off all day long. And uh, you got to get out to the crowd and interview some people. And so there was one time where the fire truck started to take off and I was behind it about 20 feet and I start to jog for the truck and I kind of lift my foot up and lunge to jump on the back of it and split my pants. Just <laughs> the, right out. So the rest of the parade, I was, uh, I was trying to cover up the midsection there because the, uh, the pants were ripped, but, but you guys are right. I mean, just everything that happened that day, I was going to go back to uh, the night that they won the Stanley cup in Boston I remember I set it up with Scotty Bowman to give him a call the second the Blues won. I actually did it before game six, and then when they lost, obviously no reason to call him. But as the Blues are counting down 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, I'm dialing up Scotty Bowman to ask him, the guy who was right there from day one, what it was like to watch the Blues win the Stanley Cup. And uh, he was great. He was phenomenal. Uh, the only thing is, Randy, as you guys know, Scotty likes to talk. So after about, <laughs> about five or Five or six minutes of listening to Scotty. Okay, Scotty, I had to get down to the locker room. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then so you're racing down to get to the locker room. And, and uh, you guys are familiar with how they set these things up. They just bring the players out three, four at a time. And I'll never forget this. You guys just talked to him, Oscar Sunquist. They bring Sonny out. And there's so much media that it's impossible to get a guy by yourself. But because they just brought Sonny out, I, I walked up to him, and it was just he and I. And I started talking to him about the game, and he said, oh, yeah, Boom Boom Gunnarsson did it. It's because he went in the bathroom and he told <laughs> Chief they were, they were taking a piss, he says. And, and I go, do, do what? Like, what? can you tell me? What, what are you talking about? They were in the bathroom together, and that story just blew up after that. It was, it was phenomenal. So, so many good memories from that night. 
I remember, JR. That was a great story because it was just another story to add to all the little things that kind of aligned perfectly for the Blues to win that Stanley Cup championship. Going back to the parade, though, just seeing all the fans and the way that the Blues interacted with those fans, and we were talking about it wasn't necessarily meant to be that way. The vehicles were kind of stalled, and then the players kind of got restless and then got out of the vehicles and started interacting with the fans. Was there anything that you noticed or saw from that that just stood out to you? Yeah, you're 100% right. So I mentioned that I was on the back of Jake Allen's fire truck, and there were several times during the parade, like you said, where it got stalled, and Jake's up in the in the fire department the truck area with, with uh, his kids and his family and his wife, and he's trying to get up, get down, and get off this thing a few times to go out and mingle with the fans. And I'll never forget this. At one point, he had had a few beers, and he's holding his daughter, and all of a sudden he just – hands her to me and now i've got my notebook my recorder i'm holding jake allen's daughter and jake allen he, he walks over to the crowd at the curb right and he doesn't have a beverage he doesn't have a drink and some guy flips one to him he pops it open they start hugging he starts chugging it they're taking pictures they were literally drinking the fans beer <laughs> that sounds awesome jr i wanted to ask you when you ha- what is the most interesting thing you've seen happen with the stanley cup because there are some some stories out there and and i know each guy gets to have it for a day what are some of the most interesting things you've heard of or have seen yeah there's a million stories um you know that, that you've heard in person uh, I got to pick one player to go to his hometown and kind of follow the, the cup all day with him. And, and I chose Ryan O'Reilly. And so I went up to Seaforth, Ontario, and uh, it was just amazing. And the, the one thing that just sticks out, I mean, they had it at the, uh, you know, the, the parade, obviously going down Main Street, which, by the way, is about <laughs> 15 stores. And, and that's all the town is there in Seaforth, Ontario. But I'll never forget uh, at that place. There was a guy who was running down Main Street, and he was yelling at Ryan O'Reilly, who was up in this you know big truck, and and you know he could barely hear him, but he's yelling Ryan, Ryan, and, and uh, Ryan's showing him the truck, uh, the cup, and the guy's all excited. And later on, I talked to Ryan O'Reilly, and I said, you don't happen to recall that guy that was basically chasing your truck down, yelling uh, at you with the Stanley Cup, and he goes. Oh, yeah, that was Brian. I played with him in junior. And <laughs> that's, how, that's how small the town is that the guy actually in the parade uh, cheering for Ryan O'Reilly played together with him. That's fantastic. What great memories we have of that. Meanwhile, the Blues made an announcement yesterday. They've hired coaches to replace those that were deposed after the season, Mike Weber and Michael Babcock. What have you learned about them? I know you've got a piece coming out at The Athletic about them. Yeah, piece coming out later today, Randy. And uh, I spent last night, I talked to a coach, uh, Seth Appert. He's the Rochester AHL coach. Uh, he's the guy who hired Mike Weber to be his defensive coach uh, in Rochester three years ago. He raves about him. He said that uh, the initial interview, uh, it was supposed to be a half-hour phone call. He said it went an hour. We're talking three years ago. And he said as soon as he hung up with him, he said that uh, this is the guy I'm going to hire. And I asked him why. And he said conviction. He drips passion. Sometimes in practice, he'll get out in the drills himself and, uh, and, and mess with the forwards. He said that if you're a defenseman on the Blues team, you're going to know that this guy is in it with you. You're, he's in the battle with you, and he's going to do everything he can uh, to make sure that uh, you're going to be a good player for him. And, and he said that's the type of guy he is, run through a wall for him. So, you know, you, we talked a little X's and O's. I asked him about the system up there in Rochester. You know, he said that it obviously is symptom, uh, system-based. you got to have some structure, but he said it's also – habit-based and, and pressure in the puck and, and just sacrificing yourself, being involved in the play, something we didn't see with the Blues last year and, and their defense. So he thinks he's going to be 
nothing but successful here with the St. Louis Blues, and he's looking forward, uh, Coach Appert was, uh, to see his buddy Mike Weber get the job here. And just for clarification, these are Craig Berube's picks. These are his picks of specifically who he wanted. You see the ages of them, too, at 28 and 35. Those are very young coaches. Is that to kind of help connect with these younger players? Yeah, I think so. Uh, That's the first thing that I noticed. And I kind of expected that based on what we'd heard from Doug Armstrong talking about uh, relating to the players. And then uh, we have to point out uh, that Mike Weber, the defensive coach, very, very, very close friends with Steve Ott. So I think that the the fit with the coaching staff mattered too. Craig Berube mentioned that yesterday, that he thinks that's going to be a good thing, those two having such chemistry together, uh, Steve Ott and and Mike Weber. But, yeah, you're looking at a situation, Brooke, where uh, you have Mike Weber, 35 years old, and the guys he's going to be coaching – yeah, there are a lot of young players on this team when you talk about Perinovich and, and Tyler Tucker, those guys. But there are also guys that are just a few years younger uh, than Mike Weber when you look at the Justin Fox and Tory Krugs and those guys. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works out. But it's not just in St. Louis. It seems like around the league, uh, it seems like uh, teams are looking for coaches that are younger and can relate better. JR, as you heard, we just had Oscar Sunquist on, us, on with us. Any chance that he's in a Blues uniform again? I think there's a chance. I really do. I think that uh, they could use a veteran guy in that bottom six. I think we know what he brings to the table. And, oh, my gosh, if I've learned anything about Doug Armstrong in the last 12-plus years is that uh, he loves guys that he's had before. You know, he's got faith in them and and really believes in them. And, and oh, by the way, uh, that brings up uh, another story going back to the Stanley Cup because when you have Oscar Sundquist on, I can never forget this story, is that uh, if you can imagine all the players are celebrating in the locker room, you know, they're drinking out of the cup, they're whooping and hollering, and then at some point they have to go back and, and change into their other clothes and get ready for the flight. And I wrote a story about Stanley Cup memories, what happened that night behind the scenes, and Sunquist's story was that as he's changing, he gets a tap on the back. He said it, it absolutely startled him. He didn't know who it was. Now remember, Pittsburgh gave up on Oscar Sunquist. They traded him to St. Louis. He thought he was going to stay in Pittsburgh. That's what they told him at the exit meeting. Well, now he goes to St. Louis. He wins the Stanley Cup with the Blues, and that night, Doug Armstrong is the guy who taps him on the back. Sunquist turns around, and they look at each other, and Doug Armstrong says, F Pittsburgh, huh, Sonny? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Uh, JR, always great to hear your memories and your great insight, and we'll be watching for that piece on the Blues' new assistant coaches this afternoon at The Athletic. Yep, anytime. Thanks a lot. Thank you. That's our Blues Insider from The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford. Congratulations on he and his bride's 20-year anniversary. Next up here on 101 ESPN, we've got Rock and Roll and then Michelle Smallman at the top of the hour here on 101 ESPN. We're here, we're here till 11 today on the opening. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Let's rock. Let's rock today. It's time for Rock and Roll. Matthew Rockio, what do you got for us? Well, we were asking fans earlier for their mic drops of their, well, their memories. Their memories, sorry. There it is. Yeah, it's going. Their memories of the Blue Stanley Cup parade. A lot of the responses we got from people in the mic drops, though, uh, they were being very angry about the Cardinals. But eventually we did start getting some mic drops, so I wanted to hit uh, three of these here. We have Drew, Dave, and Darren, who I thought gave great um, examples here of the Blues parade from four years ago. So we're going to start off here with Drew. 
Hi, Drew. Man, four years ago today, uh, I was working. I am a police officer in the city of St. Louis, so um, we had to work the security detail. But that was by far, <clears throat> I've been a police officer for 16 years now, but that was by far, at that time, the most enjoyable detail I've ever worked. It was just, no one cared about problems. Like, it literally, time was had stopped um, being a huge blues fan was just a ter cherry on top. Even if you weren't necessarily a hockey fan or whatever, and you were a police officer, you're working that day, you enjoyed what was happening. You understood the monumental moment and like you just, we soaked it in. We were celebrating literally with everybody. It didn't matter who you were. People were hanging off of buildings and everything else, but no one cared. No, but he did. No, it was awesome. It was great. And it did bring everybody together. Here's Dave chiming in. I was 10 years old when the blues were born. I waited 52 years for that. What a moment. I remember crying when we won the cup. I remember crying again when they handed it to Bobby Plager. Couldn't wait for the day of the parade. I went with my daughter, my son, and my brother. And we got down there, and it was pouring down rain. We were all bummed out, thinking it was going to be a really crappy day. Sat in the car where we couldn't see five feet in front of us because of the rain. And then it started to slow down after we had a couple of frosty ones. We got out of the car and had one of the best days of our lives. That parade was so much fun. My biggest memory was the parade breaking down or stopping right in front of us was Jordan Bennington chugging beers that people were tossing to him one after another. I don't know how that guy made it through that day. <laughs> I don't either. Dave, and he wasn't the only one. Dave, I don't know what you do for a living, but if it's not, um, you know, voiceover, voice voice you're, you're missing your calling. We, <laughs> as soon as I heard his voice, yeah. I was like, I don't care what you say here, buddy. Voice. You're getting on the air with that yeah. voice 100%. We need him to, like, narrate the story of the Cardinals this season. Um, when they make the comeback... What if I told you? Yeah, <laughs> like you it, would, it would roll perfectly. And here's Darren with his memory from four years ago. Took my then six-year-old son down to see the parade. We got there way too late. Could hardly see anything. But, uh, you know, I told my boy, I said, you know, we could always say we got to see the first ever parade uh, championship for the blues and more importantly we got to see it together and so i will always treasure that moment and i hope he will too that's what it's all about right there no doubt and that reminds me actually of my personal memory from the um, parade in uh january of 2000 for the 99 st louis rams same thing happened we got there a little bit later so we're on the perimeter of the parade and my dad, much like a texter, though I wasn't that young, my dad's got me on his shoulders and my brother's down on the floor. I dropped out of my dad's shoulders because my brother takes off into the crowd, just starts weaving between, like, under people's <laughs> legs because he's small. And I just fall right behind him. I'm tinier. So we, my dad's in the very back. But me and my brother eventually weasel our way to the very oh, front man. of that parade. And, yeah, that's that's something I'll never forget. So I, I love those stories. I'm glad we were able to get to some of those. Um, some other news here. Speaking of championships and uh, maybe the mindset after you win one, Nikola Jokic told ESPN. ESPN's Malika Andrews, he does not know where the Bill Russell NBA Finals MVP trophy oh, I is. That. He yeah. said, I, he said, when asked where it was, quote unquote, I really don't know. I left it in the equipment manager's room, and it's not there anymore. <laughs> so I don't know. That man's ready to go back home. Someone's, he just wants to go home. Here's the thing. Tired. Here's the thing. <laughs> when 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 you get to the point where you're where you're spraying champagne, that's a two handed job. 
Yeah. And so you can't be carrying around your trophy. Somebody's got to be on the detail to handle your trophy for the night. Well, he left it on the podium. After he grabbed his daughter and walked away. I think he left the trophy <laughs> there. Like, yeah, you, you talk to whoever, talk to Jamal Murray, talk to Michael Porter Jr. I, I'm going to the back of the line, and I'm going to sit back here and get away from all of this fanfare. He, he's, he did a lot of work in that playoff series, uh, in the entire playoffs, and he deserves – Rest. Did you guys see the doc about the Brady jersey, Super Bowl jersey getting stolen? Oh, God, What yeah. a great story. I think story. I did see that. I yeah. heard about it. I don't think I saw the doc. It was a, guy, a media guy from Mexico, I believe, mm-hmm. that uh, stole a lot of stuff. He stole, like, a Von Miller Super Bowl helmet really? being at a Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big, it was big a, problem. It was a really interesting story. So maybe hmm. that's what happened. Maybe this guy got in. And, and he took that as well. Yeah. Very sneaky stuff. It's gonna be, it's got to be hard to get out of out of there with the Bill Russell Bill Russell nah, finals trophy. That, that thing's not that that thing's not that big. I mean, that thing's not that small. It, I mean, you put it in a bag. You you're good to go. Still, I I just think if you if you win a title, you shouldn't. And if you're the MVP, you shouldn't have to worry about that thing getting home. That should be there's somebody on the team who well, needs to stay just you know three who, or four drinks behind you to the point where they can still keep track of where the trophy is. Who hasn't who who have you seen not carry the trophy with them? As well, like I mean, most That's people take it yeah. off the stage and they hold on to it, and then it probably goes into their locker. Which once you're in the locker room, you don't expect anyone to take it. No, but, but it's if it's missing, it's it's probably gone. That's why I like the keeper of the cup. That guy who yes. you you know who he is, and he is like a hawk watching that thing. Yeah, that thing is not going anywhere without him. Although the the, the Stanley Cup official Twitter account needs to calm down. Yeah, it sends the, I've seen it that. sends the creepiest tweets. It, it like, has to be the, like a young person that's running that account. Back in 2019, they sent out a tweet right when the Blues would win. They just go, "We can't wait to feel your soft hands, Ryan O'Reilly." That was the official Stanley they, Cup Twitter account that tweeted that. that. Stuff. Hey, yeah. Listen, you you don't have it is what it is. You you can <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah, man, you you win and everyone's soft hands are going to be on that thing. <laughs> what? It's going to be a rough hands, soft hands, lips. You know, eyes. It's just, uh, you, you, your character's point could have been creepier. You, there you go. Hey, see? <laughs> like this one. You're even more impress- expressive up close, Mark Stone. Yeah, see, that's weird. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, if the Stanley Cup has its own Twitter page and it's these are the thoughts of one Stanley Cup, what do you think? What about you meow? Can't be doing that is, that, is that a good thought for the Stanley meow. Cup? It just, there's a tweet that literally says meow. You can't be doing that kind of stuff on Main. That's, that's alt, that is alt behavior, Carrie. You can't be doing that stuff on Main. Just saying, man. It is what it is. You know how I many people have, have, have drunk out of that cup, have kissed it, touched it, held it? To their chest. That's, a, yeah, that's, that's probably that's like the, the least. That's the least. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's the you most PG things like, Carrie can list on the air. There's <laughs> some things. That cup has seen some things. Somebody texted in the original World Cup is still missing. Hmm. Yeah. The, the Stanley Cup saw the bottom of Mario Lemieux's pool. Yeah, I read somewhere. <laughs> yeah. It got dented. They threw it off a roof, tried to hit yep. it in the pool, and yeah. got. Hit the lip of the pool. It literally sat in somebody's front yard one night after they after it was won. <laughs> the World Cup one's less yeah. surprising. Like that's like a hundred years ago. There's been like world wars and stuff since then. That's not really that surprising to me. Somebody said I've shook hands with Petro before. That man has doctor soft hands. There you what? go. <laughs> what are you doing? There you I go. Just, maybe I wasn't expected. I need I'm that out. guy to voice over talking about <laughs> soft and rugged hands. I'm that out. guy earlier. Uh, 
Oh, man. It's fun to talk about the parade, fun to talk about the Stanley Cup. We're going to talk to our friend Michelle Smallman about the Stanley Cup parade four years ago today. She had, uh, We had a great time, and we'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. I'm a hometown hero, baby! Oh, those were great days. Brooke Grimsley, Kerry Davis, Randy Carricker. It is the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Before this iteration of the morning show for two and a half years, Michelle Smallman and I did the show, and it was called Carricker and Smallman. And I still have a... Uh, sign on the bottom of of the grid that I get every day, a show grid. It tells us what's coming up on the show, and it's the character and Smallman Four Pillars, and we only added three. Uh, one was all roads lead to hardware. That doesn't apply to the 2023 Cardinals, apparently. Number two is deflect blame at all costs. That is happening with the 2023 Cardinals. Number three is keep the panic bus uh, keys, which we should do for the 2023 Cardinals. And as Michelle joins us now uh, on the Celebrity Line here on 101 ESPN, Michelle, I've been trying to convince Carrie and Brooke that we should never give 100% because then management would expect, expect it. Uh, what do you think of that, of being our, our fourth pillar? Never give 100%. you like it? I like it, Randy. Maybe we can just adjust the wording, like, just coast. You know what I mean? <laughs> I like that. I like it a lot. Yeah. yeah. I, I like it because you're right. Once you set the standard, that's what people expect of you. Let's talk about the Cardinals. The Cardinals are a championship. Uh, they're a championship organization. So when they're struggling in the manner in which they are now, we are frustrated because they have historically set the expectations. How is your demeanor these days? On a daily My demeanor basis. is great. Okay, good. My demeanor is great, Randy. I'm getting a lot of sleep. I don't know if you remember what that's like, but I get to sleep in. So I'm a happy girl. Okay, but with the Cardinals, because you have a tendency to live and die with your sports teams, are you handling this okay? You know, I am, and maybe it's because today we're reflecting on the Stanley Cup champion, St. Louis Blues, or maybe it's because the last time the Cardinals won the World Series, they were 10 and a half games out. Like, this team is not good. We all know that, right? Like, they are so frustrating. Uh, Matt Rocky and I were just talking before I joined you guys about them finding new ways to lose. They're a head-scratching team. But the past two times that we've seen St. Louis championships, it were teams that we never expected to win. So I guess there's just a little part of me in the back of my brain that hasn't given up 100% hope and just believes a little bit that they're going to find a way to self-regulate. Michelle, we are Illini, and so we understand what losing looks like, and I, I don't know that this is that. I, I mean, I would love for it to be, but this is this is tough to watch day in and day out. You know, Carrie, did you have to bring up that we're Illini and that we're used to losing? I, I, like, to, I like to remind people that I know suffering, Michelle. I do. I understand it. It's been some rough years as an Illinois football and basketball fan, let me tell you. No, you're totally right. I'm just trying to be positive because Randy and I are always looking uh, at the glass half full, but no, it's been rough. It's been a, a rough watch. You guys have to watch the games for work. When I watch, I feel like an emotional masochist. I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? I am not contractually obligated to watch the games anymore. <laughs> Michelle, it has been very rough. I feel like every Cardinals fan deserves some free therapy after the way that this season has gone, but we're celebrating the parade today the blue stanley cup parade what is one of your favorite memories from that 
Oh, gosh, Brooke, there are so many. Uh, when Randy first asked me to come on the show, I took a trip down memory lane, and I was going through my camera roll of that day. And I don't think it's one specific memory that pops out, but more of a general feeling. Randy, I don't know if you remember, but we got down there super early, and the streets were I mean, like 50 people deep already, super early in the morning, and it had started to rain. And we were kind of thinking, man, St. Louis has waited uh, the entirety of the Blues' existence for this moment. Is it really going to rain on the actual parade? And right before the cars started coming out, the clouds opened up, and it was a perfect day. And I just remember walking around, and every single person there was infused with pure joy, whether it was a fan in the crowd or a player or a member of the media, the security guards that were working there. That's the reason that we love sports is that it brings everyone together. And I will never, ever, ever forget the vibe of that day and what our community went through. We were all connected as one, and we were all celebrating that day. That's what sports does. That's the beautiful thing about winning championships and and being a part of those teams, just the emotions that come with it, the highs and the lows, and then to get back to that high. That that time, the, the Blues, you talked about that season. What do you remember from that season, from how they were losing until how they just made that run towards the end of the championship? Carrie, I'll never forget this either. I was doing a show with Bernie Nicholas at the time, and we had Tom Stillman in studio when the Blues were in dead last place. Just as the calendar had turned to 2019, they were in dead last place. He came in studio, I believe, for an hour. And we were basically like, hey, explain yourself. Like, what is going on? This team is not good. And he kept saying... I have belief in this group. They are better than this, and we're going to find a way out of this. And I remember when he left the studio, Bernie and I kind of looked at each other like, bless his heart. Like, of course (laughs) he's going to be positive about this group, but they are not that good. And then when they went to Philly and Jordan Bennington got put between the pipes and they found their rallying song in Gloria, it just felt like it was a team of destiny, that all of these little pieces were coming into place, these magical storylines, whether it was Layla or the, I mean, we could go on and on about all the different stories that happened up until that moment. But even in the Stanley Cup final, when they had that terrible blowout, Randy, I think it was in game three when Benner got pulled at home. Was that game three? It was, yeah. That's the one that you would have rather gone to a Stapes concert. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, the Stapes concert. But even in game three when Benner got pulled and it seemed like the Blues weren't going to find a way, it just felt like they were destined for this. And they, they didn't have great success at home during those playoffs. And, you know, they had to do it the hard way, but they stuck true to their style of hockey and they got it done. It was just, it was a storybook finish. It was a storybook season, and it was one of those things that our city waited a really, really long time for, but it couldn't have played out any better. Michelle, another great story is Randy Carricker having a tattoo also because of you <laughs> and that Stanley Cup run, right? <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, okay. But you know, <laughs> you know, and I don't know how many, I know people know the story, but just as a refresher, I used to be Randy's producer on the Fast Lane before I was his co-host, and I don't remember exactly when the bet was made, but Randy and I were so convinced that the St. Louis Blues were cursed. We were looking up things online on the dark web about how to reverse the curse. <laughs> we were going to go down to Enterprise Center uh, with black salt and, and do some sort of a spell on the building because we thought maybe that would help. And he was so convinced 
that they would never win a Stanley <laughs> Cup. That I was like, he said, if they win a Stanley Cup, I'll get a tattoo. Or somehow I posed it to him. And Randy Carragher is a man of integrity. He's a man of his word. And shortly after they won, he got a tattoo on his back of the Stanley Cup. I was surprised how big it was, but it is a beautiful piece of art. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised how big it was too, Michelle. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's still you know, there. Walk right into that. Walk right into that one. <laughs> well, and that, you, that was one of the things, too, about the power of this radio station is as we walked around before the parade started and we're traversing our way through the crowds, what was it? You think it was half of the people that we ran across asked about the, the ink? Hey, what are you getting the tat, Randy? Yes. Randy's the mayor of St. Louis. Everywhere we go, everyone wants to stop, shake Randy's hand. He's shaking hands, kissing babies. But everybody was like, oh, my gosh, Randy Carragher. Can you believe they won? When you're getting the tie? It was like the second follow-up question. So can you believe that we're here right now? It was it was crazy. And I want you to tell the story about Vladdy with the, with the kid. That is probably in a, in a sea of highlights, maybe the most special moment to me of that day. So – all of the guys were so incredible with the crowd. They were part of the community that day. They always are, but they were not in the car. You know, a lot of times when you see these parades, the guys are in the floats or, or they're in, um, you know, the, the big, per, or the cars, whatever they are. They're separated from the crowd. They're protected in a way because these are fans. They're fanatics. They're excited. They may be a little inebriated. So the players are a little cautious about getting in the crowd. But these guys, from the second that those cars turned down Market Street. They were out. They were high-fiving. They were drinking beers with the crowd. And Vladimir Tarasenko, uh, Randy and I got the opportunity to follow around different players. And Vladimir Tarasenko was going around, and he would find different people in the crowd, whether I, I know he and Alex Petrangelo at one point found someone in a wheelchair, and they dropped the cup to him because he couldn't necessarily get up and touch it like other people were. But Vladdy went over, and he found this, this man, this young man with special needs, and gave him the biggest hug. He took pictures with him. He was signing his jersey, and he just stood there for, like, maybe two minutes and really interacted with him. And the joy that it brought him and his family and just the way that Vladdy interacted with everybody that day – you saw a different side of him, and that's what Vladimir Tarasenko, despite all of the records and the goals and what may have went down towards the end with him, that's the Vladimir Tarasenko that I'll always remember with the St. Louis Blues. And you know what, Michelle? When Blues players and the, the Blues relationship with their fans is different than most sports teams, but Blues players always talk about how much they care about the fans, and we saw that day that it wasn't lip service, whether it was Pat Maroon allowing a, a veteran in a wheelchair to drink out of the cup or the interactions that Colton Pareko had. Every single player, it, uh, Braden Shen with his fireman's hat, every single player was interacting with the fans, and they were friends. The, the players were fans with, were friends with fans all day long. I was going through the photos, like I mentioned, in my camera roll. And at one point, I was walking with Ryan O'Reilly. And he just stopped. I have it on video. Stopped and looked around and was like, can you believe these people? Can you believe this? And I said, if you could say anything to St. Louis right now, what would you say? And he just took a deep breath. And you can see him kind of letting the moment sink in. Because for as long as St. Louis has waited for this, you think about the blood, sweat, tears, injuries, effort, you know, work, everything that these guys had gone through. And they knew that St. Louis was behind them in the most passionate way the entire time. And he just looked around and he's like, I would just say thank you. This is the most unreal reception we could have ever asked for. And what a special place to be. 
Hey, can you hang around for a minute? We're going to take a break. I'm going to try to keep us close to on clock. Can you stick around for one more segment? Absolutely. I'm here as long as you guys need me. All right. That's the great Michelle Smallman. More with Michelle next on, uh, I think it's a balloon party on 101 ESPN. (laughs) You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Well, I don't know. I, 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 are we in for? Or yeah, that's or? a question. Is McKernan in for us when he shows no. up? I, I said it, I said it yesterday. We need. They were at Salt and Smoke yesterday. They need to bring us back some of the Salt and Smoke mac and cheese at to least. make this feel a little bit better. I don't think that's a big ass. So. Uh, you know, I'll that spoon. There's oh lord. So one one thing about Michelle Smallman <laughs> is Michelle Smallman. Uh, when she's back in town, is really into the restaurant scene and loves everything about the St. Louis restaurant scene. And I know is a big devotee of the salt and smoke macaroni and cheese. And by the way, Michelle is with us now on the opening drive, a.k.a. the balloon party mm-hmm. here on 101 ESPN. Uh, so what, M- Michelle, first of all, I know you love that that salt and smoke mac and cheese, right? Of course. And actually, Randy, you're the one that introduced me to it. Yeah, it's awesome. It's great. But what is the one St. Louis restaurant item that you miss most being in New York? Oh, my God. What a difficult question, Randy. I was unprepared. There's so many things that I miss. I mean, just off the top of my head, though, Louie is my favorite restaurant in St. Louis. And that chicken that they do at Louie is the best chicken I've ever had in my entire (laughs) life. I would put that chicken up against any chicken in the world, and I, when I go home, that's one of my first spots is to go to Louie, get the chicken. Michelle, Louie yes. is Louis is literally my favorite restaurant in town, too. One, because the service is unmatched. They are incredible to all their guests. That chicken, I dream about that chicken dish. <laughs> I'm glad I I'm not the only one. I dream about it. The way that they, like, bake, I don't know what they do, but the whatever exactly. they do to it, it is Immaculate. It's ch- it's the jus they make. It's it's like I asked them how they make the jus, the and jus. it's yes, it's okay. it's you cannot make it at home because you need an industrial like strength blender oh. to like get the, like the flavors they have in there. So like you 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 have it, and you're like I can do this at home. You can't. No. You have to go there to get it, and it's worth it. The thing I love about you, Rock, is you ask questions, the important <laughs> questions. That that is an important question. You want to know how it it's happens. Hard to get a reservation yes. there. I wanted to make it at home one day. I <laughs> love that so, place. Michelle Carey has an important question for you. I have a very important question. So. <laughs> Every day, you know, at a certain time of the day, we have this thing called the fight. And you mentioned that you were a producer for one Randy character. And I I have heard how difficult it is. Rock has an issue with this. Uh, Anthony Stalter has had issues with this. Coming up with with questions for one Randy character seems to be one of the toughest jobs in the business. How many sleepless nights were there and how difficult is that job? To, to provide questions for a man that knows everything. Can I add one note here? Go ahead. Michelle, I think you and I went through like five producers in our two and a half years, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. And that's all on me. So, okay, you can answer the question. Um, it is way more difficult than you think. It is a very fine line because not only does the question have to be hard enough that it could potentially stump Randy Carricker, but it has to be easy enough that a St. Louis sports fan who is potentially driving or doing a bunch of things or is nervous on the spot or who isn't, I don't know, mega mind like Randy might be able to know the answer to. So it's a, it's a super 
thin gray area that you have to live in to get those questions. It was impossible for me. It was so hard. I was so stressed. I outsourced a lot of it. Uh, Bradford Brun, shout out to Bradford, who used to work there, used to help me because he was a genius and he would he would send me things and be like, this might be a difficult fight question for Randy. So we had this big database where I would just keep things. But maybe for... Uh, you know, a couple hours a week, I would sit and mine questions and just save them because I knew that. And I also had a database of questions that were used in the past because that's also hard too. You know, you do that producer job for long enough, Rock, you know, you're like, did I already ask him about the 1985 <laughs> rotation? Like, I can't remember. So it's really hard. Well, we had a text to text in saying Rock asked the question, gave us a specific date of February 24th, and it's because he was on the show that day. But all in all, it is difficult, and I I do give Rock a a tough time because it's fun for me, Uh, (laughs) Michelle. I have great fun. When there's a little bit of angst and anger between the two, I'm 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 living my best life. Should I? So I guess my next question is, should I be a little bit more lenient to Rock when uh, when he's trying to come up with these questions? Carrie, why don't you do this? As someone that sat in the Matt Rocchio chair, why don't you come up with the questions for a week and then we'll see how you feel. Yeah, no, I don't think I want that amount of pressure. I don't think that that's something that I should sign up for. It's better to laugh than to be in that seat. But I I I think we need to point this out because I think there's a misperception here. I was never really mean to you about a question, was I? Me? No, 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 never. So you're not mean to Rock either. You're just very uh, frustrated that's a, that's at times. Very, fr- very but that, but that frustrated. <laughs> well, the gotcha questions. Oh, that's that's a gotcha question. Yeah. No, you ask how many touchdowns did Mike Vrabel score in his career? That was. A... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Go ahead, Michelle. You guys, you guys probably know this, but when Randy is upset about a question, his demeanor changes. He oh, yes. yes. oh yeah. His face. His face. <laughs> like drops down his mouth tightens a little bit and as the producer I would always be like oh no is this the time that he's gonna get mad at me I don't know what did I do wrong and Randy is such a gem he is is the best person to work with ever ever. but when I when that energy would shift I would be on pins and needles because I knew that I had messed up in some way I I guess I gotta be I I, I just laugh I just laugh hysterically it's it's the best time for me watching him as you said mouth get a little bit tight He's over there fuming. He, his face gets a little, a little bit red, or he's he's angered when when things are not done in the right manner. Because he's so nice, Michelle. He is the nicest person. You know this. Randy will do yeah. anything for anyone, but when he gets angry, Randy is my favorite Randy yeah. because he doesn't get angry all the time. So that's my favorite Randy to watch. Yeah, rage blackout Randy is rare, yes. but when he when he comes out, buckle up. <laughs> okay, a couple more things for Michelle Smallman. Number one, you were on on uh, the weekend Memorial Day Saturday, and you guys were having a great conversation. By the way, it's unbelievable to me that somebody has never been to a concert A and B doesn't enjoy concerts. Was that a, a setup, or did uh, did the producer of that show really not like concerts? So. Randy, I'm glad you brought this up because it was the more unbelievable conversations I've ever had in my entire life. I was co-hosting with Dari Noka and Rob Staff-Guerrera at the time. And uh, Dari was talking, or excuse me, our producer, Nick Cardi, was talking about the fact that he had gone to the Taylor Swift show the night before at July, or in New York, I believe. And he was saying it was one of the most unbelievable concerts he's ever been to. So naturally, I posed the question to a group during a commercial break, what's the best concert you've ever been to? Darinoka gives his, I give mine. 
stats goes, I've never been to a concert and I never will. I don't understand why people would spend the money to go hear music that they can listen to on the radio or on their iPod for free. And we were like, that is the most insane thing I've ever heard. That's like saying you never want to go to a sporting event because you can watch it on TV. It's about the live experience. It's about being with people. Sometimes hearing people live is different than the album. And we were trying to convince him that he should go to a show. And he said, never. Even if he got free tickets to a show, he would never go to a concert. Wow. Wow. That is a very interesting take. take. I, I think it's even more enjoyable to go in person. Especially the Taylor Swift concerts have been packed. Yeah, seeing live music is one of my favorite things in the world. I was flabbergasted by this. But, you know, some people just have a take that they're going to stick by forever. And I feel like this is his take. You know what I mean? That where he's just like, no matter what anybody tells me, this is my take. And I'm just going to dig my heels in. And this is going to be how I live my life. Well, Michelle, there's somebody in this room that we have literally started a segment when we have these longer shows that is called... Rockio's hills to die on because this man will stick by things no matter what even if it's crazy like he doesn't like hot fruit so like a pie different things like that baked apples doesn't like hot fruit that was one uh not toasting his pop tarts that's another it, it, that is that was not, that was not a hill that was a comment dreadful terrible cake <laughs> Awful. I mean, like, yeah, maybe if you're trying to survive in the wilderness and it's all you have in your backpack, you need a full Pop-Tart. But, like, we live in 2023. We have access to modern kitchen appliances. Toast that bad boy. Michelle, his reasoning was it takes too long. That's a misrepresentation of my argument. So anyway, to get back to the concert thing, it was, oh. uh, and I don't know if it was Dari that brought it up. I think it might have been asked. So, and this was not known what happened in Game Three of the Stanley Cup Finals. But they they said, so you would have rather gone to a concert than a random Game Three of the Stanley Cup Finals, and you said. Uh, and you had it as a Chris Stapleton Stapes to us concert, right, yeah. and you said, "Yeah." And as it turns out, the Blues lost Game Three, seven to two. And the only thing that really was of interest in Game Three was that I almost punched out some Boston media members. <laughs> <laughs> that was talk about rage, blackout, Randy. I thought we were going to have a brawl in the press box. It was unbelievable. So we, oh, wow. yeah, it was. It was the first. Randy, wasn't Game Three the first? home Stanley Cup final game of that was game three with the first one at home right exactly right so you know San Luis had been waiting for this for a really long time the vibes around the city were immaculate we were so hyped for the Blues to come home we were so hyped that we had arrived at this moment in time and then things started to unravel pretty quickly <laughs> with the team on the ice and we're sitting in the press box behind this group and it was an auxiliary press box so it was kind of one of those smaller suites so you're really was- close the people. Yeah, it was a luxury suite, and, and it's, so there's no counter okay. or anything, and it's it's just like people would go for any corporate suite mm-hmm. event. They set it up for the media too. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so they're very close in front of us, is what I was getting at. The proximity to one another is small, so you can hear everything they're saying. And they were ripping the blues. They were ripping St. Louis. 
It was it was a sight to behold because Randy's listening to all this and I can see the wheels turning in his head. Just like when a question on the fight is wrong, I can see the energy shift. I can see the mouth tighten. I can see the redness start to flare up in the cheeks. And I'm thinking, if the Bruins score one more goal and these guys keep surfing, this is not going to end well. This is going to be a bad scene. And I'm not strong enough to separate them. Like, it's just going down at this point. I might just film it for content for the show, but I can't stop anything from happening. Oh, man. No, but uh, And finally, Michelle said, should I go get somebody so that we can get these guys to shut up? And I said, no, that's fine. And then, uh, yeah, but you know what? They were pretty quiet after game seven. That's the key. That's right. I mean, Brad Marchand was crying, and I didn't hear much from the media after that. Not at all. Not at all. So uh, you've been doing a ton of stuff. We've heard a lot of you on ESPN. How's everything going? Everything is great. I uh, have been working a lot of weekends. I'm going to be working again. Uh, I'm basically working every weekend through the summer. So this Saturday, I'm going to be on 12 to 3 Central Time. Sunday, 6 to 9 a.m. with Peter Burns. You guys are up then. And then I'm really excited about this. Just like I was Randy's producer, and then I got the honor and the privilege to host with Randy Carriker in my career. Uh, next week, I'm going to get to host on SiriusXM with Danny Cannell. And I used to produce uh, Rosillo and Cannell on ESPN Radio. So to get the opportunity to host with Danny, one of my favorite people on earth, and someone who I used to produce produce for, it's a really cool full circle moment. For That'll me. be great. And what a great show. We're looking forward to it. Hey, thanks for taking some time. Thanks for reminiscing today. That was one of my favorite things. And I've been, uh, we actually did the, uh, I've done 40 years in radio now, Michelle. We had that a couple of weeks ago. But in those 40 years, one of my favorite days was our day together doing that Stanley Cup championship parade. Well, it was my singular favorite day, Randy. My career peaked on that day in 2019. I don't think that I will ever be happier covering an event or have had more fun covering an event, and I'm so happy that I got to do it with you. It was so special. And, um, you know, we went blues. We did it. So let's not give up hope on the Cardinals, even though – it's hard to believe, but we didn't think the Blues could do it either. You know? that's, that's a great point. And by the way, it's nice to have that fourth pillar is just coast. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, <why> not? <laughs> All right, later. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Keep up the great work. Thanks. Thank you. Michelle Smallman, uh, former producer and co-host and now doing great work in New York. ESPN this weekend, as you heard, she'll be on uh, Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning, and the next week work with, working with Danny Cannell, too. So that'll be great. Yeah, it was great. Also, always, always enjoy the behind-the-scenes stories, even with you, Randy, of the angry Randy. Yeah, Those are the a, best stories. That's a different Randy than the one we learned about in, was it Boston or New Orleans? Was that what, oh in New Orleans? Yeah, that was a that was a different yeah. that was a different story. I didn't. That I didn't, was a much younger Randy though. Oh, oh. this one seems yeah. seems seems so, the same. And then, Randy came out every once in a while, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Don't mess around with my teams. I I'm, guess is I'm it. with you 100. <laughs> percent Coming up, Rock Hill to die on on the uh, opening drive. Opening drive party. party. Opening, opening drive party. party. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, with Carrie Brook, Randy, and Rock minus T Mac and Ajax on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. That is a take. It's a strong take. It's one of the best takes ever. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's my opinion! Well, opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. He's out of line, but he's right. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, uh, this I'm sure is going to be entertaining. 
It's Matthew Rocchio's Hails that rock will die on. Went light yesterday because Carrie wasn't here, but now that Carrie's here, I gotta, I gotta ramp this one up. All right, this one, this one's gonna get me absolutely excoriated. This is not, this is not gonna go well for me. Ooh, okay. You hate dogs. No, no, it's not. It's never gonna be the take. No, okay. my hill to die on. Sure? I don't see. I don't. I don't see the point in making my bed every day. I just like listen. I get. Oh, I get like the. I get like the static. Like you have a routine, but the logic of the only other thing I'm gonna do with my bed after I make it is I'm going to unmake it and get back into the bed. And uh, and, and, and like there's no other thing I'm gonna use the bed for that day. I'm just gonna uh, get right in and immediately, immediately ruin it. I just don't understand it. it. It's an avoidable little task that I don't see the point in, and I just I I I'm, I'm off it. I'm, I'm I'm not making my bed every day. You you said an an avoidable what type of task? Task. What type? An what? Avoidable unnecessary little, little task. Little. Meaning it meaning minuscule meaning not time consuming. Listen, I'm not I'm not saying that it's like the time that bothers me. It's just I I, it's, I hate I just hate having to do something that I'm going to immediately undo. Well, and it's an avoidable not, thing. Like gonna, I can't do that with a dish. Like if, if I if I dirty the dish, I got to clean the dish. I, I've accepted that fact. <laughs> I'll get through it. I don't know that you, you, you've accepted that completely. I, yes, I've accepted that fact. <laughs> okay, just check but it. I'm off on the whole making the bed thing. So there's something to coming home to a made bed and the yes. room being clean and feeling comfortable once you get in there. Yes, it takes two minutes or. Three to make up a bed, depending on if you have a bunch of throw pillows, which I don't. Oh God, I don't get that. Uh, don't get me started need. on the pillows, Carrie. <laughs> oh no, Randy shook his eleven, head. eleven, eleven, eleven throw pillows. <laughs> Randy shook his head like there is no need whatsoever <laughs> no need for, the pillows. for all of these pillows. I, I concur. However, I do think that making your bed up in the morning is um, it just gives you a, a, a peace of mind when you come home. When you you just feel feel better really? when you come home. Yes, so you I, try I it for agree. a week. I, try I it agree. for a week because when you come home, it's like Man, when it's I see like my everything bed, else is cluttered. See, I come home and my bed is is open is is just saying, "Hey, welcome yeah, no, back, my guy. Try it. Come on, jump right it, back in. Make the, make the bed up and try and see how you feel when you go home." I, it makes you feel better just coming home to see your yes. house is kind of settled. Yes. And here's the thing. A clean home in is the, a clean well, mind. I, I, I have mili- a clean room, but okay, not. Okay, one second. In the military, oh. why do you think they have them make their beds every single morning? And it's a requirement, and they even check how they make their beds. Because routine matters in the military? Routine matters. And also, it's a simple task where you show up and do something for yourself, mm-hmm. and it's also an act of discipline. Some of the... I would say most influential people in this world are very disciplined. There's a great book called Discipline is Destiny, and it's something that I always recommend to athletes and you know, coaches, not that coaches need to hear anything from me, but it's one of the best books out there for anybody who just wants to understand how discipline has made a difference in athletes' lives, in world leaders, different things like that. And one of the things that they say over and over again, even doing something as small, the small things of making your bed is an act of discipline and also showing up for yourself. Yes. And David, have you guys ever heard of David Goggins, yes. the Navy mm-hmm. SEAL? He's big on that as well. Of those small things, every single day uh, shows uh, that you actually have discipline and self-discipline. Yeah, commencement speech at Texas a few years ago by uh, General William McRaven, who wrote uh, and said, 
Every morning we were required to make our bed to perfection. It seemed a little ridiculous at the time, particularly in light of the fact that we were aspiring to be real warriors, tough, battle-hardened yes. seals. But the wisdom of this simple act has been proven to me many times over. If you make your bed every morning, you'll have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride, and it will encourage you to do another task and go. another and another. By the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you will never do the big things right. Mm. And yes. by, if by yes. chance, you have a miserable day, you'll come home to a bed that is made, that you made, and made a made bed gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. There you go. Cardinals, wanna, make your bed. I don't want to jump into a made bed, though. No. You don't want to jump into a made no, bed? No, I want to jump into... I, it, my, my, my cover is perfectly open to the point so, where I can so slide this, right in. So this is clearly a hill you're going to die on because you're not going to make your bed at any time. I'll try even it for a week. With, I'll try it for all of the information you. you see, you, there's a did lot you of just, little things though in my morning. Like I do a lot of little things that are part of my routine. Why does why does one like set my day up for success as opposed to like brushing my teeth or taking a shower or combing my hair or putting stuff in my hair well, or that's or just good hygiene. Flossing or like, but I'm, but I'm saying is that that's that. But those are things that I do every day that set my routine. Well, yeah, okay. So like, why is that different than why do why do I got to add one at the very beginning? It, just try it and let me know how okay, you're. How you're. Fine. Maybe maybe the Eeyore will go away. That's and not. The, that has nothing to do. No, nothing to do with this. Because I know? was a very happy child and I didn't make my bed then either. <laughs> so did your parents get on to you about that? Not making my bed. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. A, that was not a big. Like my parents were much more about: Is your room clean? Did you brush your teeth? Like, did you take? You know, that that it was. It was a much more simple. Like they weren't on the the, the making your bed part. They had three kids and a lot and a lot of work to do. They weren't they weren't focusing on that factor. I feel like I remember. I, I literally was not allowed to go anywhere yeah, you were in the, until yeah, the military I, I wasn't in the military. Well, well, I was in the military. Built yes, the military I came from a, a, a big military family. Dad, uncles, grandfathers, all military, and that was. A requirement was making the bed every single morning. And I hated it as a child, but then I understood it more and more as I got older. It's a good habit to have. And it I'm is. not saying there's, not, there's nothing wrong with routine. I'm not, you know, again, like there's, I have my routine in the morning. That's just never been a part of my routine. And people have criticized me for it. And I've just been like, but that's, it, it, it's not like a game breaker in any way for me. So well, here, here, I, I do have another question because we, since we're on making beds and, and the, the, that, the fact that it's pointless to you, what about folding clothes? Are you a, uh, pull it out of the basket because it's clean type of guy or are you actually going to fold them after they have been washed and dried i'm about i'm about 60 40 which way uh <laughs> folding it as opposed to not okay I just, my actual just, my bigger problem is that when i fold stuff i will put them in piles and then i will not put the piles away and then i have I've a pile of problem. clean clothes that is perfectly folded that's I've just like that. stacked like in my closet just, and yeah. not like organized perfectly I've done that too and, and I'll, I'll do that more often than anything. I'm really conflicted here because I'm the guy that says don't give 100%. And then I tell him to <laughs> oh. make his bed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Every day. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. Every day. Even on weekends. You you do have some people agreeing with you on this one. Do you uh, tie your shoes after you take them off? That is a weird question. Tie them after you take That's them off? That's a weird no. question. No. Oh, I see what they're saying. Okay, never mind. Oh. I get what they're saying. <laughs> then you have to undo the tie to put the shoes back on. You have to undo ma your maid bed yeah. to get into bed the next yeah. night, day. I think maybe that there's another factor to that. Like I think that's like the big thing is like, if I haven't made, like, when I go to bed that night, I'm like, oh, I got to ruin this. And I spent time doing it. Someone from the like 618. <laughs> Still, though. Someone from the 618 said, agree on the not making the bed. You just save your time later. You save the time that time later when it's time to go to bed. Just makes sense logical and efficient. Hmm. Yeah. Until you have people over and then someone peers into your room and sees that it's.
stuff yeah, all over the place. How does Rachel yeah. feel about it? Oh, she makes her bed. Oh, there you and go. I to, and, I, and I have to help. I have to help make the bed with a lot of pillows, although not eleven. Randy, you are, is, you are, is, tr- is you are a bit trooper. extreme, Randy. I'm not gonna, not gonna. <laughs> that's, not, that's not my choice. <laughs> not my choice. <laughs> Somebody from the three one four said, "Why wipe if you're gonna use the toilet again?" <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, not wrong. Right. Right. Not the same thing. There's, there's not a, there's no hygienic factor to making your bed. I'm not saying I don't change my sheets. I'm saying I don't make my bed. There's a large, large line between those two things. Somebody said, "Way to disrespect soldiers, Rock." I, I do. What? I think, I do think if you were to time how long it takes to make a bed, you're looking at about a minute 30, yeah, if that. two minutes at the most, you might actually be around 45 seconds. I'm just saying. Yeah, but, but, but I don't. It's not. It's unnecessary. Well, by the way, have by the way, you can be disgusting. It's, <laughs> it's not disgusting. By the way, Andrew, Andrew Marshall, producer for the Fast Lane, is chiming in. He goes, "I'll die on this hill." The bed tuck at the end of the bed is so dumb. He's right about that one, but that's only because me and him are both taller that's, than six that's feet. That's the hotel that's a, that's a, bed tuck that I is ridiculous. That, so that you literally have to kick through and and do um, squats and but leg press to get out. I know people do that in their bed though, because they like to feel, they like to feel like tucked in. But like I like to kick my foot out, because it gets it gets warm, and so I'm with I'm with Marshy on the on the, on the no bed tuck one. To, to each right. its own, Rock. I'm just saying. Coming up, we're gonna head down the stretch with What's on Tap here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. This could be easy for you if you are texter number 25 so that you can win Evolution Festival tickets. Evolution Festival tickets. 101 ESPN has your chance to score a pair of Ducats to the Evolution Festival August 26th and 27th at Forest Park. See Brandy Carlisle, formerly Brandy Carly, uh, the Black Keys, the Black Crows, <laughs> Ben Harper, Ice Cube, and many more at the Evolution Festival. I do, I'm Ron Burgundy, baby. I just, uh, uh, you give that it to me? That happened yesterday. So uh, yesterday you said Brandy just, Car... Yeah. What did you say? Carly? C-A-R-L. Uh, you just read it as is. I didn't know there were, you know, I know Brandy Carlisle, but I thought, okay, this is Brandy Carly, somebody different. <laughs> so anyway, you can see the Black Keys and the, and the Black Crows, not together, separately. Uh, ben Harper, Ice Cube, and many more at the Evolution Festival. Both weekend and single day passes for the Evolution Festival are on sale now. Get all the ticket details at 101ESPN.com or... You can text in right now, 314-399-9646. That would be 314-399-YO-HO for your chance to win free passes. And here is the question that you need to answer. 40 years ago today, the Cardinals traded Keith Hernandez to the New York Mets. They received in return pitchers Rick Ownby and Neil Allen. The question, though, and if you were listening earlier, you may have heard it, who replaced Keith Hernandez at first base for the remainder of the season? Texter number... 25 gets the tickets to the Evolution Festival. How about that? That's a good one. Speaking of Ron Burgundy in college, uh, one of my professors, he was an anchor, a news anchor around that time that Mm -hmm. they were making fun of, you know, news anchors with Ron Burgundy. Mm -hmm. And he 
absolutely hated that movie because he knew that they were making fun of his time, essentially. He hated everything about it. So we, we pulled a prank one day where we brought in like a Ron Burgundy poster and he lost it. He didn't think it was funny. But he was the he was the man that gave uh, Oprah Winfrey her first job. Wow. Oh, wow. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. That's yeah. good. In Nashville. Good eye for talent. You know, it's yeah. interesting. Along those lines, another Will Ferrell movie. NASCAR apparently is not a big fan, NASCAR drivers, of Talladega Nights. <laughs> really? Yeah. Because it, it, it kind of made fun of NASCAR. Yet, they still had, and I sent you guys the picture, a big 18-wheeler, a Talladega Nights yeah. 18-wheeler a couple of weeks ago over at Worldwide Technology Raceway. For I the think those are so funny. That was hilarious. That was great. Yeah. Anger Man is a fantastic movie. I thought, I thought it was funny because it's somewhat accurate, obviously. It's... Mm-hmm. Kind of inflated, but I thought it was funny. I, I thought it was hilarious. I loved it. Yeah. So I, people just need to have a better sense of humor. Yeah, I think that's the bottom line. Get uptight about so many things. Right? They yeah. should be able to smoke. Remember back in the day, they would have like cigars on the news mm-hmm. set yeah. and all that stuff. They should yeah. do that now. Well, Make that, it a little more interesting. That would be. And Rob Burgundy, <laughs> scotchy, scotch, scotch. You know, drinking yeah. little scotch before the newscast. I think that'd be great. That'd, that'd increase ratings, wouldn't it? Oh yeah. yeah. Man, a lot of people tuned in for that. That's what we need. Great interview with Greg Amzinger today. We talked to Greg for a while, and he has some really interesting takes. You want to hear that? And it can be procured when you go to 101ESPN.com or listen on the app, all brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. But it's been a, a fun day here as we have done our, well, we, we've done a three-hour show and then we've done our fourth hour as, what? when's the next time McKernan fills in for us? Monday? Fills in for us. I like <laughs> yeah. how you phrase that. Uh, well, we, we do this again tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So in, in that show. Monday, we'll be off for the final hour. McKernan will be in. I, I, I don't think Maybe. the timing works out. It, it, Okay. He's going to host two shows at once? Oh, no. Because the the 10 o'clock hour, we fill in for him, but if he's oh, not here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to do it. Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah. we're, I think yeah. we're off from the, from the, the, well, the witching in, hour. Yeah, he fills for in for us, weeks. basically. Okay. Okay. Pretty cool. Yeah, he's got a good gig. I, yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I forgot, and I was off yeah. yesterday, so clearly I wasn't well, thinking about four hours today, and got up and I'm like, oh, I, and I started reading the rundown. Oh, what the heck is going on there? I, I am. Why uh, is coming on at ten? <laughs> We're out of here. <laughs> I, I am not one to really be concerned. I, I don't even know when my next contract comes up, but I can tell you this: <laughs> in my next negotiation, I'm going to ask for that very same unlimited vacation time. Unlimited. <laughs> Oh, man. The, uh, great the, job the by the T-Mac our special. Yeah. We have to agree to do another hour, and then you have to go back. Yeah. And then, yeah. uh, pleasure. Great job by, yeah, our, that's our producer audio engineer, the one, the only, Matthew Rocchio. Brooke, have you enjoyed these four hours? Yes, of course. Good. I like your bird's hat. You're sticking with Thank them. Thank you. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's... So, well, it's kind of a, it's an homage to the bird dropping segment. Oh, there you go. well done, yeah. well done. A CD, good to have Fuck you back. bears. Yeah, he does. He pokes bears. And we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Uh, Until tomorrow morning at 7, until 11 again. Uh, Have a great day, St. Louis. That's right. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.